Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. This is Jacoby Boykins, a.k.a. the Alabama Ambassador, Mr. 256. And you are locked in to Beyond Ringside. Ladies and gentlemen, uh, this is the... Temptation, Sean tempers it right now. You are locked in with Beyond Ringside. Hey, this is Marcus Buff Bagwell, and guess what? I'm buff, I'm the stuff, and the girls can't get enough, and you are locked in to Beyond Ringside. Check it out. Ten, nine, eight, seven, six, five, four, three, two... On a beautiful Sunday night, greetings, good evening, how the hell are you? Welcome to Beyond Ringside on this fifth day of March. Holy hell, the year is one-sixth gone. It's okay. I'm only one-fifth in. Do the math. Have fun with that. Fast Eddie Lane right here in Studio One welcoming in tag team partners from the Peach State. Shane Knowles, what's going on? I'm very curious to see this cocaine bear. (laughs) Welcoming in tag team partner, the hardcore heartbreaker, Greg Troxel. What's going on, man? Staying on the movie thing, I just saw Megan, and that's a creepy little doll right there. Dude, I, I watched that last movie. night. Oh, I've seen the pr- the pro- I've seen the promos for it. This actually freaks me out. Not necessarily because I'm a huge fan of the movie I Robot with Will Smith and some of the other AI that's been going around. It's kind of like. What are you really trying to tell us out there, folks? Now, Shane, you said you've seen it. No spoilers. How did it come across to you, and how what did you think about it? Uh, my first thought when I got done with it, I was like, this is Chucky meets the Terminator. Ouch. Is what I thought about it. Nice. Nice. That's- <laughs> did I say how it come, came across to you, Greg? <laughs> Greg? I didn't think of it that way, but yes, I will go with that for sure. Chucky Definitely meets the Terminator. Chucky on another level. We'll see. Yes. Okay, I liked the original Child's Play. I will admit to the fact that I have not watched that. I didn't watch the series. I just never got around to it. Of course, you know me. I try to work as much as I can. <laughs> I work till the roof falls in. Hey, we're almost there. Go from there. <laughs> I never really, I don't always do sequels. So when all the other Child's Play movies came out, it's kind of like, do I really want to invest my time in some of these? Because there's only so many different ways you can rehash. Now, this coming from the person who had no qualm going to Star Trek Beyond, although I never did watch Into Darkness because I knew they were going to rehash Khan and I felt that that whole thing was overrated. Y'all can go ahead and look at me funny now. I'm, I'm ready for that and I'm used to it. 
most people I know is like, how can you think Khan is overrated? I said, I'd rather see a redo of Trouble with Tribbles. At least that had some kind of comedic value to it on a different level. But first off, thank you to catch it, for everybody catching us all the way across the board, whether it be through TuneIn and the TuneIn mobile app, through BeyondRingside.com, ProWrestlingRadio.net, and of course on the replay side of life, Podomatic, Stitcher, Spreaker, iHeartRadio, um, good Lord, more ways than I've got active hair follicles. Of course, i got to be worried about that one right now. <sighs> Only two entities on this on this plane of existence, Mother Nature, Father Time. And sometimes they team up and your ass is in big trouble. Um, revolution going on in just a couple of minutes from right now. Going to take a look at the match order before everything kicks off. Um, WrestlingHeadlines.com, formerly known as Lords of Pain, threw up the uh, what they projected to be the match order. Uh, zero Hour, the pre-show match. ROH World Tag Team Champion Mark Briscoe, along with Ray Phoenix and Penta El Cerro Miedo, taking on Ari Davari, Tony Nese, and Josh Woods. Other than the factor of A, Mark Briscoe, the, the, the face team on that side, or the face team in that match, those are three individuals I can watch work seven days a week. Other than that, honestly... I can see why this would be a pre-show match. Shane, any thoughts? None whatsoever, good sir. Greg? I mean, I agree. It should be a pre- the pre-show match. This is a perfect match to get the crowd into it. And keep in mind, they use the pre-show matches to tune up the, the camera angles and all that. So you got these dudes flying all over the place. <laughs> They're going to tune up all the technical pieces on that one, too. So I agree. That's, that's a pre-show match. It's perfect. Now, on the antagonist side, Tony Nese, of course, very talented in-ring performer. Um, just, I'm neutral as it pertains to Davari and Josh Woods. I'm sorry, with all due respect, I am, but that's just me. Um, once again, this is based on television presentation and the way things are handled in so-called storylines. This is nothing personal. Don't take it that way, folks. Thanks for playing. Um, moving into some of the stuff on the main card. No holds barred. Final bear. It's turned into a burial match. <laughs> wow. Christian Cage versus Jungle Boy. Shane, who would you have in that match? Oh, man. <laughs> Can this end? I mean, Jungle Boy is still looking, to me, very inadequate in this feud. He's still getting played. I didn't like how he stood over dominant. And stays out there long enough to get crushed where the next guy can take him out. I don't know. I just maybe I'm the wrong person on the current state of affairs on AEW to go to. <laughs> Greg, um, I mean, I know who I, who should go over, but at the end of the day, I'm kind of like like Shane on this. I'm probably the wrong person to talk about creative <laughs> AEW. Um, I think Jungle Boy just has so much more to give than how they're presenting and. I think I honestly think he needs the win. Well, I agree. He needs the win. He should have the win. Um, you know, a little bit later, we're going to bring up one of the things I want to bring up is um, and for roundtable discussion. And folks, I'll go ahead and pop this one real quick. And you're more than welcome to um, chime in on social media at Beyond Ringside on Twitter, Facebook.com slash Beyond Ringside Live. Love to find out what's on your brain. Um, one of the things I'm bringing up. 
would be performers that we personally individually feel based on television presentation are either undervalued or possibly even overvalued when Christian Cage first debuted in AEW. I immediately thought overvalued. Then lo and behold, as everything came into play and he was starting the role that he was that road that he was going on, I'm going, cool, this is it. He's right on the money. He's where he needs to be. And then the flip occurred, and I'm going, oh, God, are we going to have to deal with this crap? And, yes, we've had to deal with it. Um, Jungle Boy should go over in a heartbeat on this, and he should be. I don't want this to turn into Edge versus Judgment Day to where just when you think there's light at the end of the tunnel, wham, somebody gets hit, we're going to restart this thing all over again. Jungle Boy needs to be able to move on to bigger and better pastures with or without a return from Luchasaurus. If you want to keep him single, keep him single. If you want to put him back and get the crowd response, do that. But I think this feud needs to end. Um, another one in play, and this is another person who's going to come in my uh, my comments a little bit later. Chris Jericho, Ricky Starks, the Jericho Appreciation Society being banned from ringside. Shane, who you got? It should be Ricky Starks, but in my critical uh, state of affairs or my uh, judgment of AEW, is Ricky Starks going to come out of this for the better, having worked with Jericho? Because I can't name you the last person who has. Orange Cassidy. You really think he's for the better? <laughs> I think they did a great job of helping to continue to build him, yes. It got him on more people's radar than he was on before the feud with Jericho. Uh, I'll go ahead and play this card now. I think the two people in this industry you can count on to help build new talent or help get a better appreciation for new talent, certain new talents, Chris Jericho and The Miz. Those two have been doing a marvelous job over the last couple of years, once again, in my opinion, of helping to build and spotlight newer talent or talent that actually should get that second look from creative to move on to bigger um, bigger storylines. But in this case, I'm going to so go with... Go ahead. Well, what, I said, let me jump in, jump in real quick on the Orange Cassidy comment because, Shane, I agree with what you're saying. Like you're, I know your question, did he come out better? Here's where I would say he came out of the feud better, but then fall, fell really quickly based on what they had him follow up with. Yeah, I I'm, think Jericho did what he could do, but then creative i.e. tony drop the ball after that so i think i do think he came out a little bit better i mean because it showcased some things he could do outside of the stupid <laughs> gimmick crap um because <clears throat> i can't stand his gimmick but beyond that part it showed what he could do in the ring and jericho helped it but i just think after that they just dropped the ball but that's the pattern in AEW. i agree shane your comments well well, my question to that, where is Action Andretti now after the big upset over Chris Jericho? Because they touted this as their one, two, three kid Razor Ramon moment. One, two, three kid kept moving up the card. Sean Waltman became a star. I, I, where's Action Andretti after that big upset? Can I follow? Maybe that's not a detriment to Jericho as so much. Yes, Tony Khan, we all know, I think he needs someone to help him channel the booking process. Yes, and it should not be an active in-ring performer. TK, I volunteer the cast to be on ringside. Shane, Greg, myself. 
we can help you with this. And we will approach it with a linear, logical, open-minded, multi-dimensional perspective. But I'm sure you've heard a ton of, and for the record, we all work in the business. <laughs> We've all worn multiple. Can I just tell her? Go ahead. I just want to throw this out. What I would have done with Action Andretti, the moment he beats Jericho, I open up Dynamite the next week with this relative unknown Action Andretti in the middle of the ring with a microphone, cutting a very humble promo about his beginnings, where he's at on the independent circuit. He got the chance to face who's going to be a future WWE Hall of Famer in Chris Jericho. And I got my moment. And you put this like big glaring spotlight on him. Thank you so much. I didn't know I could do it. My family and friends thought I could. You guys were there. You know what? You either have Jericho come back in for the return or you have another heel to kickstart. Yeah, you beat Jericho, but I know who you are and you're not beating me, you little punk ass, blah, blah, blah. And you go right into the next feud and you got the crowd behind him. Thoughts? Mm-hmm. Greg? Oh, that's perfect. And I agree. Exactly. Even, even hey, maybe even have Jericho come in there and just jump him and then set up, kind of build it to a, a next level match. But no, I agree. I, I love that that idea. It should have kicked off with that. It was the talk of, I mean, and we know TK is a internet mark for sure. Like, like a lot of us are. I'm not saying that in a negative way. But he's somebody in the fact that he pays attention to the observer and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. Fans were just like, whoa. This Andretti thing, Andretti, Andretti. So it was the talk of his core audience. Why not kick it off? I love that idea. Or if you have a run and you, I mean, you could have Andretti do exactly what you said, Shane, then turn around and have Jericho come down. Well, maybe let's bring somebody else in to counteract Jericho and then somebody else to counteract Andretti and move off into two different storylines from that vantage point. Nobody says you can't throw multiple players into the game because, God, AEW is so huge on factions hint for coming up later now that we know how it's spelled <laughs> thank you text messaging <laughs> thank you predictive text um <laughs> starks should go over and by the way uh greg did you give your prediction on that one no I, i'll say one thing about starks I, i'm a big fan of starks i i met him in nwa saw him wrestle i remember going to one of their shows and i told my son i said you see him that's a star waiting to happen right yep. there. When he's unleashed and allowed, he's going to be a, a star. And I'm hoping this is the kickoff for him getting that opportunity. Um, AEW World Trios title match. The House of Black, Malachi Brody and Buddy Matthews taking on the Elite. Uh, Kenny Omega, Nick and Matt Jackson, the current champions. Uh, title stays where they are or the titles change hands, Shane? Well... I think they should go to the House of Black. I'll leave it at that. Greg? I think they stay where they're at. I'm not I, saying I agree. I'm just saying I'm just, I think they stay where they're at. I think they should go to the House of Black. I'm, I'm taking the House of Black for the title change. Uh, triple, chat for, what about, triple threat for the women's world title. Right. Go ahead. Hang on. We're, we're talking about these EVPs, so I want to bring this up. Has the damage been done based off what occurred in last September. Now, I know that they have their fans that's going to follow everything they do on YouTube and whatnot, but I'm talking about as far as can you take these guys seriously? Are they looked at as the villains in the Phil Brooks CM Punk uh, incident? And has the damage been done to them going forward in AEW? Can they be rehashed, rebuilt? Greg? 
I think they will be. I think they'll be rebuilt. Um, just from the standpoint of that core audience of fans <clears throat> and based on their performances and how they handle it. But I think the key is they got to at some point truly be, Oh, be professional and not even acknowledge when it happened or if they, you know, cause it's too late to really say much about it from an apology standpoint or something, but stop doing some of the stuff that they've done in the ring. Uh, you know, where they've kind of acknowledged CM Punk and stuff like that. Just move forward at like it didn't happen from a storyline perspective. Just keep moving. But I think, yes, they can, especially Kenny. I think Kenny's probably the main one who could easily move forward. Shane, you asked. Well, the- and the reason I bring that up is the interview that Omega did last week. And I read just about every bit of it that he did. And it came off to me like he was distancing himself from the situation. And it's on Matt and Nick Jackson about what happened with Punk and to make amends because he was very sorry that it happened in the first place and sorry that word ever got out on what occurred. And it just came across to me like, you know, Omega's ready to move forward and whatever problems still remain with the Bucks. See, I'm still 50-50 on the whole scenario because there's a part of me that sits back and says they played this to everybody's advantage. The EVP's got a vacation, and Punk gets to go off and nurse an injury. It works to everybody's advantage. And the dirt sheets and all of the talk shows have something to discuss. And Schmelzer has something that he can have a nut over for about two or three weeks. And then, okay, what really happened? And same thing with SRS and some of the other major so-called major writers out there. Um... Yes, I believe there is an there there is a rebirth after this. Um, I believe that personally, and this is where we're gonna get the hate mail. Just address it to me. I don't give a flying rat's backside. The attention span in the populace right now, as it goes, is two weeks for younger viewers. Sorry, folks. Hard, blunt, force, truth. If it wasn't for the internet and the fact that you can use DuckDuckGo or whatever search engine you prefer to look up certain things that happened three weeks ago, most people would have forgotten. This is my follow-up to going, Vince was right. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandslots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Most people don't remember anymore. If you put this out to 100 wrestling fans right now, I'd say about at least half are going to be cloudy about the way they look at it without pulling up, well, this, this happened on this day, so you know something, but 
And and I don't care if you're offended by cultural appropriation on that vocal intonation pattern. <laughs> okay. <laughs> it's a joke. Get over it. I'm not making fun of anybody in particular. I'm actually making fun of myself when I do stuff like that. Ha. Um, but from there, yes, I believe there can be a rebirth with the um, with the Bucks. I believe there can be a rebirth with Omega. I believe everybody, most of the fans were happy to see them back. I think that bygones can be bygones. If this whole thing is totally legit to the bone with, between them and Phil, um, then okay, fine. They can find a way to get past it or just not work together. I know that those three are EVPs, but you have to put your egos to the side. Sorry, young Bucks. Um, Because I think that's where part of the problem lay. And then I want to do a sidebar speaking of CM Punk. Because we've never brought this up. A couple of weeks ago, Seth Rollins was asked about that individual. And Seth went off the standard WWE phrase rail and answered the question. Normally, the rule of thumb is we don't acknowledge. This is from WWE first-person perspective. People that I know give this answer. We don't acknowledge people in other companies, especially when it's a controversial individual. Rollins went there, which for a lot of people, if you read the message boards in the comment sections, First words out of their mouth. Oh, he's going back to WWE and he's going to have a match with Rollins first. Okay, great, wonderful. If he does, make the money. <laughs> I mean, damn. Um, I was asked a question by the birthday boy, Mike, um, also known as one of my roommates, earlier today. Do I see a possibility where CM Punk can actually make it back to WWE? My answer, yes. I believe that a lot of that so-called friction was for television. And when it came down to it, the medical was the medical, but the contract was the contract. Let's put it at that perspective right there. I believe that there was some hard feelings when he left, but I think a lot of that had to do with medical. Not God knows it couldn't have been creative and it couldn't have been money because they tailored the storylines around CM Punk and WWE all the way up until the time that his contract was done. See you later. Bye. You couldn't ask for a better push than the summer of punk. So I throw this one out. Once again, my roommate asked the question. I now, I now ask it of you based on everything that has transpired in the last few weeks and the fact that, yes, even Seth Rollins is weighing in about CM Punk. Does that door look like it is unlocked for CM Punk to go back to the Fed? Greg? Oh, of course. <clears throat> it's open. Um, even though we have different regime, allegedly, <laughs> in charge right now at WWE, we've seen it too many times. At the end of the day, the one thing they do they do is they do what's best for business and you can't argue that um whether it's been goldberg coming back even brock brock had a lot of heat with them warrior hogan i mean we can just go down the list on the list on the list of people that they've had issues with foley booker t kurt angle i mean they've brought them all back and at the end of the day if they look at it and it's going to pop the ratings it's going to pop 
you know, attendance at a mania or something like that. Or, Merchandise. <laughs> yeah, of course they will. Yeah, of course they would. Do I think it's going to happen anytime soon? Doubtful. But I, I, I'm gonna. I do have a comment about Seth in a moment. But I'll let you let Shane go ahead and answer that part as well. Is that is if the door is still open, Shane? Sure, the door could be open. Anything can happen in the World Wrestling Federation, as we were told a long time ago. But I think CM Punk does find a way back to AEW as he's still under contract. And Tony Khan has to know down in his soul there were a couple hundred thousand people who came over in the ratings when Punk came, and there were a couple hundred thousand, maybe more, who left when he has been out. Um, we talked about Tony Khan channeling a little bit of the booking. This is my idea. Jim Ross may not be the announcer he once was, but I listened to his podcast. The creative mind's still there. If he allowed Jim Ross to book this the right way, where Omega and the Bucks take on Punk and FTR, oh. that is your main event for double or nothing. Can you say pay-per-view buys through the roof? I mean, would it not be? If I'm talking about with JR storytelling, creative input, getting guys on the same page, I don't care about your brand or your ego. As you said, we're going to do what's best for business. And the only time I think you see all six of those guys together is at the pay-per-view because you still are working on a pay-per-view business model, not a network. There's no sense to have all six do any uh, physicality or promo, promo, you can have certain elements of certain guys, but I would also do it like this. I would have FTR in the ring with the elite, some kind of beatdown promo, whatever you got, and they don't even have to tell you. We challenge you to double or nothing, and I think you know who our partner's going to be. Boom, you get the pay-per-view buys for Punk returning at double or nothing in that match. Greg, retort follow-up? No, I like that. I think here's the the ad I would put. <clears throat> we know what happened there. Most of their audience knows what happens there. They still got to tell that story week to week. And I'll give an example where they did not do this is with the Eddie Kingston CM Punk storyline. They assumed everybody knew everything. And I'll be honest, I knew a little bit of it, but not enough. And they kind of assumed that, you know, hey, everybody's in on this. And that's kind of the old Vince Russo way. Oh, let's swerve them. Let's do these different things. They're all reading the dirt sheets. A lot of those people are not reading that. So I think you're right. I love that idea of leading up to it, but they got to tell the story episodically week to week. They got to get those people who are not reading the observer or the torch or whatever else, or not in the, in the know like that, understanding what truly happened behind the scenes and build that up. Because like, even with the FTR piece, that's a little bit more fringe than just the CM Punk piece. So it's, I think, I love your idea with JR. I don't understand how TK doesn't use JR. I just, I, it blows my mind. Like, you have this dude sitting here that's been in creative meetings during the whole attitude era. Do I all listen? You're not using them. Um, but not to get off on that, but yeah, I love the <laughs> idea. I just think they, they got to get into the whole part of you got to tell the story week to week and suck in those people who do not know what happened. Oh, believe me, if they it, could lead up things to that point. Go ahead. I was going to say two things to that point. Yeah, could you imagine how much that would rejuvenate Jim Ross if you gave him a pet project to mm. put this feud, this angle, this match in his hands? And two, mm -hmm. uh, to your point, I love that because, yes, it's inside baseball for a lot of people. 
let Dax Hardwood go out there and cut the promo of a lifetime to pull back the curtain on everything and why we're challenging the elite. And I guarantee by the end of that eight to ten minute segment, the people are going to be with them. And they're going to be heading to their Google machine, so to speak, to find out what exactly caused this. <laughs> mm-hmm. Now, the only thing that worries me about that is the fact that, you know, the Bucks are good with heel heat. They love to play the heel, they, keyword play. But the fact of the matter is, if you let Dax Harwood go out there on behalf of FTR and really build in this whole scenario and put it in play, that may actually get the go-way heat on the young Bucks, which I don't know if they can handle. I'm being brutally honest about that one. Um, see, well, I, I agree with that, Eddie, but I would also sit Matt and Nick Jackson down if I'm JR and say, do you want to be taken serious for once? Do you want to have something to sink your teeth in? Do you want to have something that electrifies a crowd other than 5,000 super kicks? This is your chance of a lifetime to get that Austin Rock kind of crowd into what you're doing. And just go with it. Because yeah, Omega and the Bucks, if this scenario plays out, they've got to be the heels, in my opinion. 100% they have to be. I don't think you can flip-flop it and make them the faces. But I think it has p- tremendous potential. And here's the main thing. It doesn't have to ma- be the main event because it's not for the heavyweight title. I feel sorry for any match that follows thing. that. But here, here's the thing. Here's the thing about the storyline. We've seen the storyline before if you do it correctly. It's nothing but Austin versus McMahon. And you take Omega and the Bucks and put them in the Mr. McMahon type of a role. They are, because they're a little legit authority figure. You have the CM Punk thing, the, Re- the Rebel, and with, with FTR. But you're mixing in real-life stuff. I'm not saying you follow the exact blueprint, but, but it's there. The outline is there. And, oh, they could become mega heels out of this. Oh, and to your point, Greg, playing off that Austin McMahon, what was so good about that was the blue-collar worker that supported Austin over the evil billionaire McMahon. Well, us as wrestling fans would love the guys. I think most people think FTR is the best tag team in the business. They certainly were voted that. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and Punk, like him or hate him, he moves the needle. And I think a lot of wrestling fans don't like the fact that Omega and Bucks are in EVP positions from day one and got their friends on the air and have Tony Khan's ear. And as you said, if they went with it, my God, mega heat. And therein lies the rub. Would it be Vince McMahon um, ministry or excuse me, um, the corporation heat? Or would it actually be what everybody calls X-Pac Kane go away heat? That's the question. Because there have been, I mean, now granted, Every heel has managed to recover from getting the go-home heat, the go-away heat, one way or another. I mean, remember, because you had so many people who were so anti, um, let's go and use Sean Waltman for a while. And lo and behold, now times have changed. He has changed. Public perception has changed. He, He walks out and he gets a standing O from the crowd. How long would it take the Bucks and Kenny separately or together to recover from that kind of heat from a crowd? I'm saying at least a year because there's one thing that people do remember, and that's who they can't stand. Difference between who they're going to boo and who they can't stand. There's people in this industry, as far as on screen, if they come on television, I change channel. Click. 
There's others that's like, yeah, not a big fan. Like the character, like the work. I'll stay and watch. But yeah, I don't think it's gonna be. It would be that hard to recover. And here's why I say that: it all depends on how you wrap it up. Yeah, you could. They could actually come out of that program, mega faces. The elite because at the end of it, yes. And here's why. Here's how. Because you do it different than the McMahon thing. Because the McMahon thing went on and on and on and on. You you have the authority figures. You have the, the legit authority figures, the EVPs and all that. And at the end of it, they could always come out and just kind of almost fall on their swords. Like, you know what? We screwed up. We haven't, we've abused our power. However they want to do it, they can flip it. There's a way to do it. Now, I would draw it out longer than just that program. But I yeah. would be careful to take it much longer. Not much longer because then you hit that go away heat or that you you don't want the fans to turn on them to that level because of at some point they are your core, right? Um, Supposed to be. But you do, yeah. But I think there's a way to flip it. I mean, at the end of the day, I hate to go way back to this. Yeah, Sergeant Slaughter back in the day sympathizing with Iraq and having death threats and all of a sudden becomes a face again. If you can flip that, <laughs> you can flip this. Oh, let's see. Character driven, but at the end of the day, <laughs> if and this is the thing, I don't have the confidence in TK. I have the confidence in Jr. But agreed. If they subscribe to this whole outline and they do it correctly, at the end of it, they can say, "Here's how we're going to flip it, and here's what we're going to do." But they got to plan it out and stick to a plan and be patient. To which I will simply bring back one of my favorite phrases: hashtag Never waste a heel turn. Mm. one that I hold near and dear to my heart. Thank you to an old friend of the family and still part of the BR family too. The Oracle of Ominous, the Wicked Nemesis. Hashtag never waste a heel turn. Let's run down the rest of this real quick. Damn, that was fun. Hey, I got the way you wrap it up. Go ahead. You do the first match as a six-man tag because that's all you need based off the promos. Then you wrap that baby up. I know it's more like war games, but you do three on three. You do blood and guts in a cage at Chicago at, at All Out, and you make wrestling history. Yeah. Blood and guts, three on three. I could actually handle that because I don't know of that many people that you could pair up with the elite or pair up with um, FTR Punk that would make sense. And that's the thing that I've always said. I will pay attention if it makes sense. Bring me in. Give me a reason to care. Give me a reason to become emotionally and psychologically invested. You got me every time. But it's going to be a very, very arduous process about how you would try to expand the bases for both both of those uh, three-person teams. Um, speaking of threes real quick, let's run down the rest of this before everything kicks in full gear. It's like, like, or a revolution. I said full gear. Oh God, shoot me. I was trying to say full speed over at revolution, but I had AEW on the brain. That's a scary thought. Um, triple threat, AEW women's title, Jamie Hayter defending against Soraya and Ruby Soho. Greg, who you got? Happy Hayter. Shane. As much as I'd like to see Hayter retain, I think Soraya. I want Hater to retain, and I'm going to go ahead and say it's too soon for a title flip. I mean, and the sad part about it is nobody looks at, okay, I'm going to say this, and I'm going to draw heat. I don't care. At this point, based on what I've seen on the message boards, nobody is taking Ruby Soho as a genuine threat 
to get the women's championship right now. It's either going to be Soraya or it's going to be Hayter retaining. Soho is kind of like, as a good friend of the family, Andy Hudson used to say, cannon fodder in this match. Uh, Texas death match. <sighs> Gee, what a surprise. A reason for John Moxley to bleed. Um, John Moxley and uh, Hangman Adam Page. Shane, who you got? Huh, I hope Adam Page. <laughs> Greg? I mean, I'm not going with who I hope, but it, it'll be Mox. I don't see I, I just don't see them letting him lose. Based on the promos <laughs> I saw Wednesday from um, Dynamite, I'm going Page. I'm He needs this win. Moxley does not need this win. Page does. Uh, TNT title match. Wardlow versus Joe. Who's going to kill who? Greg. Joe, Joe goes over. Joe retains. Shane? Joe should. He's been one of the best heels in professional wrestling for damn near two decades. Even on a game show. He played that very nicely, too. Um, oh, God. What was the game show Jimmy Carr used to host that actually had a lot of ROH guys come in every once in a while? Um, With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandslots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car, before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. It's not concentration. That's another. De- I'll look it up. I don't care. We move on. Fatal four way tag team. T- uh, by the way, I've got Samoa Joe retaining. Uh, Fatal four way tag team titles: the acclaimed Jarrett Lethal, Danhausen, and Cassidy, and the champions the Guns. Shame. Oh, I guess the Guns retain. Greg. There's something in me that says Jarrett and Lethal come out of this with these titles. I'm saying the guns retained. It's been, you know, they finally get a little bit of a spotlight. Why yank it off of them this quick? And, of course, 60-minute Iron Man match for the AEW World Championship. Brian Danielson challenging MJF. Shane Knowles, who you got? As much as I would like to see Brian Danielson do this, I just don't think there's any way that you take the belt off MJF on his first title. Greg Troxel, who you got? Okay. Yeah, I got MJF for sure. That belt is super glued around the waist of MJF, at least for right now, until somebody can find some nail polish remover to cut through the super glue. That belt's going nowhere. Although I'm pretty damn sure this should be an entertaining match because both of these two have the skill and the ability to tell a good story for 60 minutes. I have all the faith in the world on that. Folks, Here, take, go ahead. Here's my only thing. 
I wish they had not announced 60-minute Ironman match. I wish it was just Danielson and MJF, and then let the surprise be when they go an hour. I would have been okay with a 60-minute time limit draw. Well, you see what I'm saying, though. When you say 60-minute Ironman, the common fan says, just get me to the final five to ten minutes. Yeah, pretty much. If I they agree. didn't do that, and they went sixty. I think you take the story, you take the crowd with you more. Well, before we head to the break, let's jump on that one for a second because remember, the, one of the ones that actually pushed everybody to the limit of paying attention in a good way was when Vince McMahon had the idea after Mike Tyson scored a thirty-nine second knockout. He went ahead and booked HPK and Bret Hart into a 60-minute Ironman match saying, we're guaranteeing you that this match is going to go an hour. Our main event won't be over in 39 seconds. This one will take 60 minutes. And I think that got lost as time went on because everybody that I know during that timeline was how, what kind of story are they going to be able to tell? Are they how how is the chapter layout gonna break down over the course of a legit one hour match? Will they be able to deliver? And in retrospect, yeah, they did. <laughs> Two of the greatest of all time delivered, and then some. Um, and lo and behold, the way that they told the story, even in overtime, I thought they did a remarkable job. But legitimately. As time has progressed, we have regressed, there's that phrase again, on the way that we handle specialty matches or gimmick matches, especially like an Ironman match. It's lost a lot of its meaning, where I am fully in favor of the fact that this match could be announced one fall 60-minute time limit and let it either go to a one-hour draw, setting up for another match in the future, or let MJF cheat with 59 minutes and 45 seconds having passed by, and let him get the screw finish win with 59.03, um, at, or three seconds left of the match, or with one second left of the match, and leave a little bit to where it's not a decisive ending. Y'all have heard what I just said. Agree or disagree? Shane, I'll go to you first. Well, I agree, and I'm going to harken back to something I did at Peach State back in 2015 when Jimmy Ray challenged Tyson Dean for the Peach State Wrestling Alliance Heritage title. The first match at about the 18-minute mark, Brooklyn Creed got involved when Jimmy looked like he had the win, causing the DQ, meaning fans wanted to see a return. Then Tyson and Jimmy go to a 30-minute draw that left the crowd stunned that we didn't have a winner. Guess what? The third and final match, there's a need for a 60-minute yeah. Ironman match with that build going. I remember that match. <laughs> if I remember correctly, I was doing commentary or I was doing radio after the fact. <laughs> you were doing radio. David Pierce and I did uh, commentary okay. for that one. Yeah, hey, we... hey, you know what? And I'll tell you about that. I, I talked to David Pierce about this. It's amazing how quick that actually went. Yeah. I know I wasn't a ticket-buying fan that night, but when you're calling it for 60, it was amazing looking at the clock. You know, uh, 20 gone, 40 remain. 30, 30, we're halfway home. 40, 20 remaining. 10 to go, 5 to go. It did not drag. It was amazing no. how quick yeah. that went. I remember that. And it's like, yeah, you blink, and it's actually 
Oh my God, has it been 45 minutes? And that is a testament to the, those two being able to tell the story that kept people invested for the course of an hour or the, yeah, all the way across the board. That's why I say a lot of the, uh, the, the, the regression factor is like, how many people do we genuinely trust to tell that kind of a story? Greg, follow you up. Know, before- you brought up. You brought up the WrestleMania 12. I just want to touch on I, I love that match. Those two are in my top five all-time performers. I'm sure they're in a lot of people's list. But if we're rewriting, imagine if it was just Brett and Sean for the title without the Iron Man catch, and they went 60. Brett walks off the overtime, the double super kick, Sean wins. Would it have been more electric if people didn't know that we're going 60? Greg, your thoughts? That's exactly why I don't like a 60-minute Iron Man matches. Exactly how you laid that out. Not knowing you're going to go 60, it, it keeps, I think, the crowd is more into it because I think the crowd paces themselves, too. Like they kind of get hyped in the beginning, mm-hmm. but then as it goes along, it's like watching an NBA game or a college basketball game. It's like, okay, you know, you have the cheers, you have this, unless something spectacular happens. But you get down to the end, and it's close. The fans are into it. Yes. But it took, what, two and a half hours to get there. So it's the same thing with the uh, Ironman match. So have I seen classics? Of course. I thought, um, is what, Bailey and Sasha had one. And I thought that was good. They're, they're good, but I agree with what you just said. From an emotion standpoint and how you just laid out, like, Sean and Brett, they go 60. Brett's like, I retained. Vince comes out or whoever comes out and says, nope, we're going overtime. The pop for for Sean would have been much bigger because people would have been invested for that whole hour as opposed to sitting back and waiting to see what's going to happen. Because Vince would have because done. Like some... Go ahead. No, I was going to say the last thing is like, you think about tonight, um, let's say, you know, um, Brian Danielson and, and MJF go and there's a fall in the first 20 minutes or two falls and, or three falls and, and Danielson's up two to one. And we go the rest of the show. You know, there's got to be another fall, and if there's not, people are gonna be pissed off. So, but if you're if you're just watching a match, and you're like, oh, there hasn't been a fall. There's been a couple of near falls, but if, take away all near falls, just only have your near falls, like three of them in the whole match. That match becomes intense from a fan's perspective. Oh yeah, that I'm just not a fan of. I'm just not a fan of Iron Man matches, not being announced that way. Like you well, can. Well, like I said, in your head as a poker. Like I said, the reason why Vince built this as an Iron Man match is because Tyson, the world heavyweight champion in the field of boxing, had just scored a thirty-nine second knockout, and people paid how much money for that pay per view? So he was able to turn around and say, "Well, we're going to guarantee you that our main event goes an hour," and I understood that part. But I'm going to go ahead and bring one back sure. into play, which everybody has one of these matches in their memory. And this one has stayed with me for all this time. And I actually still re- revisit it in dreams every once in a while, or sometimes when I'm just daydreaming. And it was either 82 or 84. Boutwell Auditorium, Birmingham, Alabama. World Heavyweight Champion, Nature Boy Ric Flair. Defending against the Southern legend, Bullet Bob Armstrong. A jam-packed 
Batwell Auditorium. These people are legitimately, it's a hard sellout. Legit. No paper. <laughs> Legit hard sellout. No freebies were given. I'm on the second row for this ringside. And I'm watching this as it transpires. And these two go, okay, timing was different then, but they went to a time limit draw. But when you announce that championship match, one fall 60-minute time limit. And in your brain, you know there's a possibility that anything can happen in an hour. Especially with two people with, and I wasn't saying this part then, but I'm saying it now. With the storytelling ability of people like Bob Armstrong and Ric Flair. Remember, these were two guys that didn't go to the top rope that much, if ever. And Flair, of course, when he went to the top, it was a gorilla press slam back into the center of the ring. Nine times out of ten. But the as the time went on and people realized more time is going by and you see Bob do that miraculous comeback and Flair backpedaling, the emotion from that crowd that, oh, good grief, if you could bottle that up and turn it into a battery, you could have powered Manhattan for um, six months from all that energy. But yeah, as the mat, and, and then when the person at Timekeeper, who once again, we will, let's just say he's timeless too, <laughs> if I remember correctly. Well, <laughs> let's think about this. Go ahead. February 14th, 1986, Battle of the Belts, Ric Flair, Barry Windham, probably still in my mind, one of the most electrifying hours yeah. of pro wrestling on television. How different would it have been if we knew they were going the whole 60? The reason with every commercial break and with every transition to Greg's point, God, that crowd came with it to your point about Bob and Flair. The longer it went, we didn't know that we're going this long. We don't have that handicap. And I get why Vince did the Ironman. And I love that match. I just like rewrite it. If we didn't know they were going 60, man, how much more the ride would have been when we got there. Or let's, in case Greg was thinking about bringing this one into play, let's go and do it. Flair Sting, Clash 1. I mean, once again, another time limit draw. The well, I'll even use more more current that first uh, Arthur Ashe Stadium show. Yeah. When Omega and Danielson went 30-minute draw, I was hooked on the edge of my seat because I didn't know they were going 30 to a draw. Yeah. I was amazed. It adds to the ability to have fun because when you don't know what's going to happen, when there's so many what-ifs involved or what-could-be's that are involved, the psychology, you, you have a penchant for becoming a little bit more invested. Um, folks, tell you what. Well, we, go ahead. And to the point, to that point, I think what hurts a 60-minute Ironman is it destroys the illusion of the match can end at any second as it does under any other time under normal circumstances. Agreed. Greg, um, follow up before we go to the break. No, I, I totally agree. I think this is, yeah, I think there's nothing else to be said about that one. Folks, <laughs> tell you what, I agree. <laughs> we had a number of topics we were actually going to hit on, and guess what? We're going to bring those up after the break. We just had a hell of a lot of fun working on these, um, that, the way things laid out. Um, God, I love it when we have a chance to do something like this. It's just going 
yes, we know. It was a relatively busy week in some regards. Yes, it was a relatively slow week in other regards. And yes, I'm not dissing Revolution in any capacity whatsoever. And of course, you've got a lot of things going on with New Japan as well. But you know something? Every once in a while, there's other stuff that you can put at the lead without burying the lead. Hang tight. Going to a quick one. This is Beyond Ringside Live. Hey everybody, this is Casey Carlisle, and you are locked in to be on ringside. This is Merciless Ray Mercer, Olympic gold medalist and board member of Find the Dream, and you're locked in to be on ringside. This is Ace Haven from Pro South Wrestling, and you're locked in to be on ringside. Hi, this is April Hunter from AprilHunter.com, and you're locked in to Beyond ringside. Hello everybody, this is Dirty Dutch Mantel, and you're locked in to Beyond ringside. When planning your next party or special event, insist on the best. Full Range Entertainment is a professional entertainment company providing a full range of services. From professional disc jockeys and MCs to catering and photography, when the details of your special day must be perfect, call us first. Wedding receptions, corporate parties, school functions, birthday celebrations, and more. We also have Birmingham's largest selection of karaoke tracks available. With over 40 years combined experience, Full Range Entertainment can provide you with the talent and professionalism you need and deserve to make your next event one you'll never forget for more information on the full range of services we offer call 533 hits that's 533 h-i-t-s or check us out on our website at fullrangeentertainment.com this is ivan kolak the russian bear i'm excited because i'm locked in to be on ringside ladies and gentlemen this is a first class second to nine third generation wrestling superstar Eric Wayne, and you are locked in on Beyond Ringside. This is Nigel McGuinness, Ring of Honor Superstar, and you are locked in to Beyond Ringside. Stay tuned, wankers. Are you looking for premium-grade CBD products and supplements from a source you can trust? Then visit Calm Peak at CalmPeak.net. We offer premium-grade broad and full-spectrum CBD products made from U.S.-grown hemp and lab-tested to ensure quality and safety. And we provide a 90-day money-back guarantee. We've won the Best in Show Edible Award, Best Minor Cannabinoid Formulation, and Best Delta A Tincture 2021. Go to CalmPeak.net to see our full line of premium-grade CBD products and supplements, as well as beverages, apparel, and more. CalmPeak.net. This is Jim Cornette. You are locked into the show of all time beyond ringside. Ladies and gentlemen, wrestling fans from around the world, I'm Lightning Mike Quackenbush, the master of a thousand holes, and you're locked in for Beyond Ringside. Hey, everybody, this is Terry the Rock and You're locked in with Beyond Ringside. Everybody, it's the Chocolate Ice Cream Dream, <laughs> the backcourt bandit, Sugar Dunkerton, letting you know that you are locked in to Beyond Ringside. Shoot, shoot, shoot. Do not turn that dial. And welcome back into Beyond Ringside Live on this Sunday night, fifth day of March, calendar year 2023. Fast Study Lane over here in Studio 7. Or is it 28 or some multiple of four? I don't know, but I have a feeling that number may come up in a little while. Welcoming back in Shane Knowles. Can you remember a pro wrestling match with two older competitors than what took place last night in Chattanooga, Tennessee, between Mr. Number One George South at the age of 61 and Action Mike Jackson at the age of 73? Uh, Yes, intergender match between Mother Nature and Father Time. It was a draw. Sorry. 
Well, I was going to say, if Methuselah and Moses ever met. Uh, yeah. Well, Moses would win. He could part the Red Sea and drown Methuselah. <laughs> Welcoming back in tag team partner, Greg Troxel. See, see, Shane comes in with these things, and I just have nothing to follow up on. I'm just... <laughs> <laughs> See, I was actually going to flip the sequence because there is a reason I was going to flip the sequence, and that is because the music not playing yet, but will be as the segment progresses, because I have to reset a computer. Thanks for playing. Our resident trivia master, courtesy of Useless Trivia, Shane Knowles. Let's go for the Unholy Trio. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino at chumbacasino.com. Choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. VGW Void were prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. Eighteen plus. Well, let's do this. Let's start with mascots. Since the year 1980, which NBA team has had a mascot named Go? He is known for running the stairs of arenas to the theme from Rocky, as well as outlandish dunks performed on a trampoline. Who are you going to first? I'll go to you. See, I want to say the Philadelphia 76ers because you said the lead in the way you did. So I'm just going to go ahead and say the Sixers. Uh, seven out of 10 teams this past Thursday also went with thinking Philadelphia with Rocky, but they're incorrect. Greg. I'm going to go with Phoenix. You are correct. The Phoenix Suns, the gorilla named Go. Gorilla. Didn't there they? There you go. <laughs> <laughs> Wow. <laughs> and for the times that I was a fan of Charles, speaking of Charles Barkley and Dan Marley. <laughs> NBA Jam delivers the facial. <laughs> wow, that was really good. Thank you. The one line, the one line from a video game that fire. I... The one line from a video game, I can't believe they got past the censors, the sponsors, and every parent's group out there. <laughs> and by God, they did. And Greg is up one ought. Shane, question number two. A phone numbers question for 15 seasons from 1987 through 2002. Viewers of what television show we're encouraged to dial the number 1-800-876-5353. Uh, 
Oh, God. Go to Greg first on that one. Oh, that's me. From 1987 to 2002, viewers of what show were encouraged to dial the number 1-800-876-5353? I don't know why, but I'm going with Jerry Springer. That is incorrect. Mm. Well, it sure as hell ain't Oprah. <laughs> no. Um... Solid gold. Oh. Also incorrect. How about we go with it? I guess it's coming back to me, right? Yeah. Coming back 700, to me. 700 club. That's a good stab at it. Uh, incorrect. I'll go back to 80. You said 86. That was too early for a lot of game shows that actually had the internet. Uh, 87 to 2002. Why do I want to say the Jeopardy at home game? Mm. Incorrect. Damn it. <laughs> and here's the thing that oh, sounds so familiar to. Like the 5353 five, is just like sticking out. I will try to do it in my best impression for you. Please call 1-800-876-5353. Oh, God. <laughs> Whose turn is Oakland? it? Was it WWF of some sort? Superstars? Nope. Was that, your, was not. Was that your answer? Yeah. Okay. Um. I... <sighs> Oh, God. The way you said that made me think it was a crime drama. But I'm uh, getting, getting very close there, yes. <sighs> I can't remember the name of it. I want to say Robert Stack was the host. There you go. You're on it. Is that close enough to I have to actually come up with the name of the damn show? <laughs> Well, he, he was the host. That was the impression I was trying to do. Yeah, I mean, you, you that's what got me. It's like you hit that voice dead on. Oh, crap. Okay, right, okay, okay, okay. Oh, wait, 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 wait. Maybe the answer to this question will be a mystery that can be unsolved? <laughs> Perhaps the answer I could tell you would be yes. Unsolved mysteries. That is correct. Perhaps you could solve a mystery. Yes. <laughs> it took me a minute because <laughs> I keep wanting to go back to the untouchables when it comes to Robert Stack. <laughs> such a good show. All right. I, I'm sorry. To get one and one. But, but that, that's such a good we show. Will go, it was a good show. I remember yeah, a lot of those. They have updated ones on Netflix now. And um, yeah. We will go to the tiebreaker here where I will start with Eddie with the first chance. Gentlemen, there are uh, seven answers here. And I will tell you that the question is the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, the inaugural performers class of the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame oh. in 1986. God included six black musicians and also 
a black musician, was the first inductee into the early influencers category, which will give us seven total. I will start with Eddie. On the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame's inaugural class in 1986, we have six black entertainers slash musicians, singers, that were part of the inaugural class that also included luminaries such as Elvis Presley, the Everly Brothers, and Jerry Lee Lewis. We also have a black entertainer musician that was in the early influencers category. Chuck Berry is correct. Go over to Greg. Little Richard. Little Richard also correct. Nodded at one. This man was overlooked for many moons, so I'm, but I'm going to say him anyway because I just love him that damn much. B.B. King. Popular guess at tri- useless trivia, but incorrect. Greg with a chance to steal. Um, Jimi Hendrix. Is that was my next guess. <laughs> also, I think almost every team Thursday playing put Jimi Hendrix, but incorrect. Uh, okay, because I'm going to say it anyway. Uh, Aretha Franklin. I was so dirty at trivia. I played the song Freeway of Love by Aretha Franklin to try to steer you in that direction. But no, she did not get in until the early 2000s. Correct. I just thought I'd throw that one out there. Um, I'm having a hard time remembering that first class. James Greg with the chance to. You are correct, James Brown. 2-1, Greg. I know it's not right, but Stevie Wonder? Incorrect. Uh, Greg with a chance to go up 3-1 here. Oh, man. We have Chuck Berry, Little Richard, James Brown as correct answers so far. I'm going to go with Louis Armstrong. Oh, crap. That was a very popular guess for the early influencers category, but uh, incorrect. Oh, shoot. Give me the names we've uh, gotten correct so far. We've gotten Chuck Berry, James Brown, and Little Richard. We are looking for three more. Okay. And then one in the early influencers category. Ray Charles. Ray Charles is correct. We are knotted up at two. <sighs> Incorrect guesses of Aretha Franklin, Jimi Hendrix, Louis Armstrong. Um, I can't remember the other incorrect guess. My apologies. I do not know. <laughs> no earthly idea. Is it? Uh, and they're all individuals, or is there a band in here too? Mm-hmm. All individuals. Yeah, all individuals. All right. Um, I will take away two more incorrect guesses that I had Thursday: Diana Ross and Marvin Gaye. Okay, there went my next one. <laughs> Damn it! <laughs> no, I knew Diana Ross didn't get it on the first ballot, but I thought I, I thought Marvin Gaye. No. What was he, 99? Mm-hmm. Late 90s. Yeah. Still you, Greg. I know. I I can't think of nothing. Um, oh, crap. 
Yeah, I got nothing. I don't, I don't know. You might have to pass it back over to you. I've got one. I'm not sure if he was in the first class, but I'm going to go with this one. Thank you, Richie Cunningham. I found my uh, thrill. <laughs> Give me Fats Domino. Uh-huh. You are correct. Holy hell. <laughs> I didn't know he was in the first class. I forgot. It's like I'm thinking it, he didn't make it in for a couple of years, but I'll take it. <laughs> w. Eddie takes a 3-2 lead here. Want to take a stab at one more as well as the early influencers? I have no idea about the early influencers. I don't either. The early, the early influencer, um, a very good movie in 1985 starring Ralph Macchio and Jamie Gertz called Crossroads. This gentleman apparently sold his soul to the devil there, Mr. Robert Johnson. I know that name. Yeah, very oh, Wow. Okay. Early influencer. Cool. I would have never gotten that. And then... To uh, complete the list of the original six, Chuck Berry, James Brown, Ray Charles, Fats Domino, Little Richard, and Mr. Twistin' the Night Away, Sam Cooke. See, I keep forgetting about Twistin' the Night Away. I was going to say a change is going to come. <laughs> now, there were some people that were like like me. They were shocked that Chubby Checker was not in this inaugural class or Otis Redding or Percy Sledge. Right. I mean, you got to save somebody for next year. Damn, not everybody can get it on the first ballot. I was say, there's got to be room for Billy Preston sometime. Yes. <laughs> and remember, Stevie Wonder did eventually get in, didn't he? <laughs> he did. And and one team, God bless them, they put one of my favorite underrated artists here, Screaming Jay Hawkins. Ah. <laughs> oh, let me find something real quick. Um, Because I saw this over on Instagram. It, because it got my attention because of one. Oh, it was because of uh, I follow Jeff Lynn and the Electric Light Orchestra over on Instagram and something that was released. I just finally looked at their timeline and it was released back in January. The 2023 Songwriters Hall of Fame, Jeff Lynn from ELO fame and the Traveling Wilburys and the man wrote for the Beatles and Tom Petty. Go figure that one and Bob Dylan. Jeff Lynn has finally been incorporated has been finally inducted into the Songwriters Hall of Fame. Gloria Estefan of Miami Sound Machine fame has finally been inducted into the Songwriters Hall of Fame. Um there were 7, it was originally supposed to be 6, but I remember the story um that one of the sp the final spot was tied, so they decided to make it a magnificent 7 of entrance and once they start, there were a couple of names I didn't recognize, but folks, if you get a chance to look this up, um, 2023 songwriters hall of fame inductees, the one, like I said, the reason I saw it is because I follow Jeff Lynn and ELO over on all social media, huge fan. And it's funny because sidebar for a hot second, you know, a lot of ELO's material through the seventies and mid eighties Whereas another one of my favorite bands of all time, the Little River Band, a lot of their stuff through the 70s and mid-80s. So, you know, a lot of people listen to songs like uh, Hold On Tight or a lot of the stuff from uh, da -da -da -da, Armchair Theater. And you hear that music and it's like, that could have been released last year or this year, realizing the fact that it was released in the mid-80s. 
Same thing with a lot of the stuff from Little River Band. They sit back, a lot of people sit back and go, when did that really come out? Uh, 78. <laughs> Song is. Well, and uh, to play off. To play off that, Eddie, that question, or that individual, the other individual from the 2023 Songwriters Hall of Fame was um, one that I used at Super Bowl trivia. I said, which recent inductee into the Songwriters Hall of Fame, female, who started out in a band before branching off as a solo artist, is the only individual to date to headline two different Super Bowl halftime shows, and that's Gloria Estefan. Yeah. Mm. Phenomenal performer, beautiful voice. I mean, there are, I mean, it's like the song Anything for You. She doesn't rely on a lot of vocal acrobatics. She just has that voice that just you can't turn away from, for which I'm just very grateful. I'm, I'm thankful that people like them were every, everybody, like I said, I can't remember all the names because I don't have the story in front of me and I just read it and listened to the story in passing earlier. And that was just the Hall of Fame was what got me started on that. You know me. <laughs> Saw ELO in 2019 at Bridgestone in Nashville. Enjoyed every second. Was hoping. It's like, come on, one more encore. One more encore. I'm good. You got enough music? Bring it on. <laughs> Which I'm going to throw the curveball. I just played my ball on this one. I played my turn on this one saying ELO. I was hoping for one more encore because they had so many songs that they could have done that Jeff Lynn wrote, recorded as it part of ELO and the, the spearhead of ELO. Name a concert that you went to that left out a song you were hoping to hear live. Shane. Ooh. Uh, I'm just going through the list here. Kiss played everything I wanted to hear. Uh, Aerosmith. Uh, both times I've seen them, they never did uh, Train Kept a Rolling. Oh. I'd like to hear heard that. Uh, Alabama did everything I wanted them to do. The Rolling Stones, the same. Um, so, yeah, I would probably say Aerosmith, Train Kept a Rolling. If I had to go with one other artist, if they left off something I really wanted to hear. Uh, no, The Who, they played the entire Quadrophena album in person, so no complaints there. Oh, and coming up this week, you've got a Pink Floyd tribute band coming to Birmingham, Alabama, that based on the clips that I've seen, they're not Brit Floyd, but they're in the same caliber as far as uh, Floyd tribute bands. I'm actually considering going to that show. Uh, Greg, tossing the question your way. What band have you seen perform live that came back, even in the encores, missed a song? You know, I can't think of one either. I mean... Because a lot of the people I've seen are more on their on the back end of their career, so yeah. they're gonna play all their hits. So, like, I mean, I've seen I've seen so many different people. I'm trying to think of anything that somebody missed. Um, and nothing's sticking out. Like everything you see, talk about Alabama. They always play all their hits. Hank Jr. always plays all his stuff. Um, with lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. <gasps> no, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. 
Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby. Mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa. Take it easy, Judy. <laughs> The Chumba Life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Yeah, I've seen Kiss as well. Oh. I've seen Van Halen. I just can't think of somebody who hasn't played something that... I'm sure something will come to me in a second, but I can't think of anything that I was looking forward to I mean, that they didn't play. Billy Joel, same thing. I mean, there maybe was a couple I could have nitpicked, but I mean, they would have been some deep cuts. He certainly yeah. gave us three hours. Same thing with Paul McCartney. He even did a few Beatles songs, but I mean, obviously he's not going to do the entire Beatles catalog. Um, yeah, I can't think of anyone else that maybe left something out. Oh, I mean, the per- for me, another perfect example would be Garth Brooks. I mean, I saw him in Atlanta when the comeback tour began, and there were so many songs that he could have stayed back and played. It's like, damn, do we have another hour? Then he came to Birmingham, different set list. Then I saw him in Nashville um, later on that final weekend of the comeback tour, and there were songs that he played on that show that he didn't play on the previous two outings in different venues. So it's kind of like, you're still missing a couple of tracks, but you know something? I'm happy you incorporated some stuff that you didn't do in previous shows. Um, my favorite glaring omission, one of my favorite bands of all time, also Journey. Um, if I hear, if I go to a Journey show and I hear Stone in Love and Lights, I'm happy. Well, I bought Revelation and it had a live concert DVD. The live concert DVD did not have Stone in Love. I'm going, how do you not put that on the disc? <laughs> this is a song that people are partying to for the entire four minutes and 23 seconds of the song when you're performing it live. How do you not put that on the DVD? That'd be the closest I can get. Um, but yeah, there's another one. I've never heard Hank Jr. perform what was originally the duet with him and Huey Lewis from Montana Cafe, you don't judge a book by looking at the cover. I haven't, I haven't been able to see him do that one lately, or over the last fifteen years, because Montana Cafe, mid nineteen eighties, eighty three, I believe, was the release date. Trust me, I'm gonna be going back through all the concerts over in my head because remember, for me, Kiss was my first concert in seventy seven, and. The library wasn't as deep then as it is now. So how many songs would groups like Kiss omit, even on the Greatest Hits tour? Um, but Well, I don't ahead. know if you saw this earlier this week. Kiss announced the final leg of the This Is The End tour. And I know people have taken a lot of jokes for over 25 years. You know, But Kiss was really supposed to wrap up before COVID hit. Yeah, They were postponed for two years. And they've got the final 50 dates. And I think it's pretty cool that they're going to end with two dates at Madison Square Garden where they said KISS was formed merely three or four blocks away down on 23rd Avenue a half century ago. And we yeah. bring it home 
and close it out. I think that's pretty cool. See, I wouldn't be surprised if they did a private show at a small venue close to MSG afterwards. Because remember when Motley Crue called it after their last tour, so-called last tour, they're back again, go figure. Um, After they did the Staples Center in Los Angeles, they turned around and did a private show at Whiskey A Go-Go, which was one of their launching points, which I would have, look, for as much as I would have, appreciated seeing them at staples i would have paid the ticket price to see them at whiskey a go-go because i think the dynamic of the show would be a hell of a lot different well we talked about alabama it came to my attention earlier this week that after 25 years with 1998 being the last one they are doing june jam again in Thank the month God. of june in fort Payne. good good <laughs> Tell you what, we are going to segue back. Um, one of the things that we were doing every once in a while, as you can tell, we're going kind of topic-oriented as well as just playing around with some stuff. Well, um, pre-show, we had some ideas bouncing around. And we all came up with different ideas on how to take different questions and concepts. And Greg, I'm going to toss to you first on this one. Uh, yeah, I want to talk about some factions, like the factions within wrestling, the the groups, the the families or whatever. And so we all talk about the horsemen and NWO bullet club, but I was like, you know what, what kind of made me think about this, this past week, I happened to see an old interview of the Freebird ah! when he first came to Georgia. Yep. And I thought, you know, I didn't used to ever think of a three man per group as a faction. I just kind of looked at them as a team. But if you really think about it and you think about the Freebirds and I'm a huge Freebirds fan. Always have. Well, I like always have been. When they were first heels, I hated them. I love <laughs> them. But later on, I fell in love with them. And to this day, I will say, when people ask me who my favorite wrestlers are, it's Hulk Hogan, but it's followed by Michael Hayes. And to this day, because it, even as I get older and learn more about him, I was like, he was real. <laughs> what you saw on that screen was real. There was nothing sugar-coated. <laughs> And um, if anything, he was toned down in the ring compared to outside the ring. But I thought about, man, the three birds, how great they were. And I wanted to kind of talk to you guys about some other factions and kind of challenge you on some stuff. So the three birds, I assume you guys agree that were one of the best factions of all time. Shane? Oh, sure. Uh, and, and I'm someone that actually did enjoy the Freebirds when it was Michael Hayes and Jimmy Jam Garvin. I know a lot of people in recent years looked down on that period. I thought Jimmy Garvin was tremendously entertaining and played off of Michael Hayes because Gordy and Roberts, and this is no detriment to them, but Hayes was the shimmy and the, the sizzle to the team. And with Jimmy Garvin, it was almost like he had almost his equal <laughs> in that tag team a little bit. But uh, that original faction of the Freebirds, man, what if they didn't botch it? in the WWF, you know, because it, you talk about a cup of coffee in the world wrestling federation. I mean, because they were there, they were there right before the big rock and wrestling, everything expansion would have been. And I think about three birds at WrestleMania one, two, and three. How would that have parlayed? How crazy would that have been? And, and the other thing that you learn now about Jimmy Garvin, I like Jimmy Garvin. Um, I'll be honest. I stole a lot of my stuff in the ring character-wise and everything from gorgeous Jimmy Garvin. Yeah. Um, but I always loved him. 
but you also when you hear the stories and you hear Michael Hayes talk about, it, he said, "Hey, he was a free bird before he was a free bird, right?" And he mm-hmm. guys used to live with him in world class and the parties and all this type of stuff. And you're just like, "Yeah, you hear that?" Um, sorry, Eddie, going pass it to you about the free birds. Your opinion? Oh God, free birds! One of my favorite teams of all time. I mean, first off, the one thing none of us has mentioned, which I'm going to go ahead and do it. They were the driving force for a rule and or exception being made specifically for them. Mm -hmm. The Freebird rule, which other three-man teams have brought into play, case point scenario, New Day. They ran with the Freebird rule for a while. And you had the consummate trio in Michael P.S.A.'s even before he started calling himself P.S., Terry Bam Bam Gordy, which Bam Bam would have been Bam Bam ever since Bam Bam was Bam Bam, and Buddy Jack Roberts, I mean, formerly one half of the Hollywood Blondes. You go from there, and that culmination, I mean, it's like, there was a, and I'll bring this one up when when I rotate around in my turn, I'm just going to simply say original, original Midnight Express. And but as far as it goes with the Freebirds, whether it was in the mid south, whether it was in the mid southern, as in Tennessee, um, Jarrett country, whether it was in the southeastern U.S., where I saw Michael Hayes and Terry Gordy in one of the bloodiest cage matches that you will ever see on and off pay per view television and live events. Um, I'm sorry, they were. Fin- Freebird's genuinely one of the best in my book. Mm-hmm. And you know, one thing thing that very sorry, real quick is that when the New Day did incorporate that rule, they called it the Freebird rule. And I yeah. just love the fact that they incorporated that and they, they had that throwback. And that's what was cool about that interview. I know you commented on it because I sent it over to you. In that interview, he talked, Michael Hayes talked about you don't know who you're going to get. It could be me and Buddy. It could be Buddy and Terry. It could be Buddy and I. And I was like, Wow, he already had it. Like, what, I don't know what that was, what, like 1980 <laughs> or something like that. I was just like, wow. It was just, it was so different, especially for that time. Shane? Uh, very influential as far as entrance music goes as well. I know there's some debate as to whether JYD with another one bites the dust or the Freebirds, you know, were using it first, but certainly influential at the beginning entrance music. I mean, think back to how wrestling was when guys just came to the ring from the locker room. <laughs> and uh, man, when you hear Bad Street, it, and, and uh, Michael Hayes performing that very song, didn't have somebody else perform it for him. You know, that was big time. Um, but I, I wanted to ask something, this may get down a different rabbit hole, but you mentioned the Midnight Express. I've yes. seen a lot of traction on social media uh, from Steve Austin and Dwayne Johnson, among others, saying it's beyond time to put the Midnight Express into the Hall of Fame. Yeah. Two things about that. One, do you think Vince McMahon was the one that wasn't putting them in and that Triple H would be more inclined to do so? And two, it, it crossed my mind this week, we haven't had a single Hall of Fame inductee announced on WWE television. They've yeah. more than done it in the month of February. Oh, God, yeah. Um, Greg, you want to go first? Oh, yeah, I mean, I think it's well past due for them to be put in. And to your comment about Vince slash Triple H, I mean, I think 
one of the things we've seen over the years is that Triple H has has had influence on that Hall of Fame, allegedly. I mean, when Abdullah went in, Warrior. that's not a Vince guy on by any stretch of the imagination. Or even Bullet Bob. Those, these are guys that, that Hunter has talked about, that he watched as a kid. But going back to the, the Midnight Express, you put the rock and rolls in a couple of years ago, and I thought that was long past due. Yeah. It was well past due for Midnight to go in. And it, it, you know, obviously, they all need to go in, but the fact that Cornette's not in there as a whole is ridiculous. <laughs> because what he is what he has meant to the business for so many years, but that Midnight Express overall, including Sweet Stan, Dennis Condry, um, Beautiful Bobby, all of them, they all need to go in. And that's the part that aggravates me more than anything else. For as over as the rock and rolls were as baby faces, the Midnights in every incarnation they're in, with the exception of the Smoky Mountain Territory. Sorry. Um, they were just as over. And it's weird when you're going back to 1985, 6, and 7, and you've got Dennis Condry and Bobby Eaton being cheered alongside a cornet before the face turn against the Four Horsemen. When you've got Bobby and Stan being cheered, even though they're supposed to be the heels in this situation, Cornette being cheered, even though he's still being the Louisville lip, mama's boy, the brat. The, the Midnights should have been inducted either same year or year after the rock and rolls. Now, granted, Vince did extend a beautiful olive branch having Cornette induct the rock and rolls. And I love the first thing sure. that Jim said. I could be out here reading War and Peace and somebody's still going to say I missed something. Imagine when Cornette either does the acceptance or does the induction, which should be acceptance, because realistically, sorry, folks, if there wasn't Jim Cornette in the mix uh, during the Turner, uh, Turner Crockett era, because here's where we go from. I respect Paul Heyman. But Paul Heyman did not make the Midnight Express, nor did he overbuild the original Midnight Express. The original, we're going there, kids. Sorry, folks, I'm, I'm hijacking. The original Midnight Express, Dennis Condry, Randy Rose. Before he was ravishing Randy or lover boy Dennis, it was Dennis Condry and Randy Rose, two of the most smash mouth, straight ahead tag team competitors. They were the ones who laid down the lead for teams like FTR in my book. Then you add a person who appropriated a nickname, the junkyard dog Norvell Austin. I had the privilege of interviewing Randy Rose a few years back um, before the Wrestling 2 Classic in West Georgia. And I had a nice long conversation off air as well as on air. If you, um, in our out in our archives, you'll find that interview with Randy Rose. Um, but there's some stuff that was said off air that I wish that I was still able to keep. I had a computer crash. That stuff went bye bye. Damn, I hate it when that happens. I really, in, in all sincerity, I do. Midnights should have long since been inducted into any and every. Uh, I believe they're in Cauliflower Alley. I believe they're in the, um, God, nine different Hall of Fames. 
But by the same token, with all due respect to Vince McMahon and everybody involved with WWE, while Bobby Eaton was still with us, the full barrage of the Midnight Express should have already been inducted. Gentlemen, take your shot. Uh, well, I'll say correct. and I mean, you could do it in this year in L.A. That's fine. But if I'm not wrong, isn't WrestleMania in Philadelphia next year? And to your point, Eddie, of what you were talking about, them being cheered, my God, the Midnight Express were over like Rover in Philadelphia at the Spectrum. That's where I would do it next year. Um, and you spoke about that about Bobby Eaton. I hate that he wouldn't be with us uh, for it. But, you know, it, it goes to – I mean, we could go down a whole rabbit hole. You could say they never worked for the WWE. Demolition worked for the WWE, and they're not in. Mm. That is a glaring omission. You know, you say glaring omission, you know I'm going to come back and say, Ivan Koloff, the Russian bear, should have been a televised, not let not sure. that archive, what's the name of the other wing? Legacy wing. Thank you, that BS. Legacy wing. I think I showed remarkable restraint by not actually saying what BS stands for. Um, that's been a big one for me. The man who beat Bruno was not a full-scale entrant into the Hall of Fame. He was legacy-winged. In the words of my Latino brothers and sisters, Caca del Toro, plain and simple, Ivan Koloff should have been brought in, not posthumously, but during his illustrious life. Sorry. And I'm also hoping that with Triple H now at the helm, that we can see an induction for Lex Luger in the coming years. By Nikita Koloff. Ooh, for me, that's borderline. Yes, I agree. <laughs> I think just from a longevity standpoint, Nikita didn't have the run that he could have. But I, I do believe Lex should be in. And for whatever reason, you remember last year, they were doing, they had a documentary about the launch about Lex and everything. It got told. I don't know what happened. They had hyped it up on the network or Peacock or whatever, and and everything, and all of a sudden it got pulled. Is it? He's been and and the Luger, the Luger biography on A and E that aired last summer was probably my favorite one that they've done because we know the demons of Lex's past, but man, there's a guy that just makes you feel happy if you're around him for five yeah. minutes and to see where his life is now. Yeah. With Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Man, what could have been with him and, and how great he was. I, I, You know, people talk about his uh, in-ring ability. I'm like, he was exactly what he needed to be. Yep. And yes. and, and I sit back and I'm like, he, he wasn't designed, quote unquote, to be a, have a five-star match or whatever. No. He could get heat. He could. He could be. I thought he was a very good heel. He was a very good face. Um, but man, he was if over. He had, if he had had his head on straight, holy crap! How big could he have been? I mean, think back to. I'm talking about him being over. I'm talking about crowd reactions on Nitro when Lex Luger defeated Hulk Hogan. 
mm-hmm. for the title in 1997. My God, you talk about a crowd reaction. Let's put this one in play. I remember in TNA wrestling when Ric Flair formed Fortune, and he referred to at okay, I know him as Nigel McGinnis, and everybody else knows him by the name that he was referred to as in TNA. Um, but he referred to that individual as the Lex Luger of the Horsemen. First off, understand Luger was a U.S. champion. Luger went over Nikita Koloff in a cage match, granted under questionable circumstances, screw finish. But by the same token, Luger was a title holder and a champion while he was with the Four Horsemen. That's something nobody can ever take away in that regard. That's why Desmond Wolf was what Nigel was called in Impact TNA Wrestling. Sorry, had to. <laughs> my brain was like, "Hey, Eddie, you know this," but there's there's a big difference between Lex Luger in the Four Horsemen and Paul Roma. Oh, I was waiting on one of y'all to shoot at me on that one. <laughs> I was actually looking up. Was it was it Nigel McGinnis he said that about, or was it Matt Morgan? No, it was it was Desmond Wolf, i.e. Um, Nigel McGinnis. I just watched the clip last night. I still have it. That was the same night that Jay Lethal did the Ric Flair impression that everybody remembers. Hmm. Yeah, same promo, same in ring segment. I'll just throw this out here since we were talking about factions. I think they're looked at more glowingly in recent years, but we're really under the radar, I think, for about 15, 20 years. I'm going to go back to that 1991, 92, 93. Uh, I think it, late 91, certainly most of 92 and early 93. The Dangerous Alliance. Yeah. I think is probably the most underrated faction in professional wrestling. Even Zabisco was good with the group. And that's no yeah. detriment to Larry, but I'm talking about the workhorses in there of Arn Anderson, Rick Rude, Bobby Eaton, uh, you know, managed by Paul Heyman with Medusa. I mean, in a lot of ways, I know 1992, that era after Flair left was not good for WCW, but I think they damn near saved the company during yeah. that time. Agreed. It's funny, when I, made, when I made my list today, talking about, thinking about the factions, I have Dangerous Alliance on there because, to your point, the talent, young and old, and the other thing that I look at with the faction is, is the talent equal? And when I mean equal, like you don't have your A squad, B squad, and they were all main eventers. When you think about the horsemen, they were all main eventers. Dangerous Alliance were all upper upper mid-card to, to main event. The early they NWO was, too. Yes, and, and you don't, and they weren't, you didn't have like Bobby Eaton being the one that, you know, hey, we're trying to get to to you know, Polly Dangerously and Bobby Eaton's the one that's jobbing out. No, you didn't have any of that. You had a great faction, top to bottom, and balanced, and they could all hold their own. They could actually, outside of Eaton, could all talk, but they didn't have to. It was just kind of a, to me, it was almost like a modern day. Well, I say modern day, a fast forward, updated version of the Horseman. What? There's, I, I'm a huge Horseman mark, love them. But I, I'll say this: I think the Dangerous Alliance may have had one of my favorite War Games matches ever mm-hmm. in 92. I agree. Was that when the uh, Dangerous Alliance teamed up with the Freebirds and Michael uh, Michael Hayes and Paul Heyman had the, I got to go in there? Damn! <laughs> uh, no, it was uh, Dangerous Alliance versus uh, Dustin Rhodes, Brian Pillman, the Steiners. Okay. Gotcha. 
I mean, Zabisco and Arn, man, they were bleeding within like three or four minutes. I mean, it was mm-hmm. rough. Uh, I think that's the one where Tillman had the injured shoulder and Vicious banged him off the top of the cage and kept power bombing him. They stopped the match. It was brutal. I mean, that was a good showcase. Going factions, there's one that constantly gets overlooked, and that would actually be in the UWF era, 84 through 86, 87, Devastation Incorporated, led by General Skandor Akbar. They ruled the roost to a great degree, and they were the ones who were responsible for the face turned by the Freebirds in the UWF. The Mid-South Territory had some great action. And you can say Mid-South and UWF in the same breath because it was all the same because of marketing and or labeling, franchising, however you want to put it. Because when Mid-South Sports decided to change it from Mid-South Wrestling Alliance or Mid-South Championship Wrestling and call it Mid-South or call it the UWF Universal Wrestling Federation. Bill Watts had the goose that laid the golden egg even after one-man gang, Ted DiBiase, both left. Junkyard Dog left. They still managed to rebound. And I think if it had not been for the Crockett buyout that occurred late 86, early 87, somewhere in that neighborhood, I think UWF could have actually given Turner... Crockett a run for their money as well as Vince because for as much as a lot of people don't like him Bill and remember Bruce Pritchard and Jim Ross were two of the primary players behind the scenes and in front of the camera ring announcer color commentator a mainline commentator but Bill Watts had a good eye for talent and he could help build stars but he did a better job of it under his own banner than he did for anybody else. Gentlemen. So it was interesting. You're talking about devastation incorporated. I had that one written down too. Cause if you think about devastation incorporated also led over to world class at one point. Yep. And it's a perfect, like you talk about the timeline. Those are those factions where you kind of had a couple revolving players because it really was Skandar Akbar. That was the, the nemesis, right? But here's what's interesting. So there was a show um, that UWF came to Atlanta and ran in the Omni. Yep. In, con- in conjunction with an independent here, uh, one of Joe, P- Joe Pettacino's uh, independent here at one point. I remember. And, I, and there was probably about 12, 13,000 people there. It was crazy. And the main event, Freebirds versus Devastation Incorporated. Yep. And that place lost their minds when the Freebirds came out. But before that, I'm going to touch on another faction that was one of my favorites. In that same show, Hyatt and Hot Stuff, Stuff International. And that on that same show was when Sting and, Stein, uh, Sting and Steiner won the tag belts off of Terry Taylor and Chris Adams. I was a huge mark for that. I Hyatt remember that. Stuff. Yeah, it was. I thought they, the, because the way Eddie was, the way Eddie Gilbert the way Missy Hyatt was, and it wasn't a huge faction, right? But it was like, I thought they were ahead of their time. Shane, care to jump in? No, I agree with all those sentiments. 
It's funny because I actually refer to Terry Taylor as a very undervalued talent, especially during the UWF era. Granted, the fact he was a television champion for how long and also a top contender for the main belt um, and held the tag team titles on more than one occasion. But it, it really came down to the fact that Terry just never really got his due, especially in the wrestling media. I mean, I remember the uh, Weston publications as well as some of the other magazines that were coming out during that time, and a lot of them looked at Terry Taylor. I don't know if he managed to piss off all of them or, or what happened. I don't know. But he was almost treated like an afterthought on more than one occasion. Um, well, I think yes. if Terry Taylor had made the jump from UWF to the WWF and he had been the one given the million-dollar man gimmick, we certainly know he became the tailor-made man, a knockoff gimmick of that in WCW. If he jumped instead of DiBiase, you know, the visions would have been for Terry Taylor to play that role. I think we're talking a whole different ballgame. I'll agree. I think one other thing, though, when he was in UWF, and it, this happens, you know, a, a lot of areas where they have more of a core audience, not the nationals. National audiences, the bigger audiences. Can you really describe who Terry Taylor was? He was very vanilla in a lot of ways. Mm -hmm. And that's what I mean. It's like he came out with very little personality, very little glitz or glam. He was just, and especially when you're, you're in a UWF and, you know, he was popular with them, but you're looking at character. You're looking at people over the top. And he just never, never stood out in the ring. Solid. I mean, nobody can take that away from him. Oh. Um, but. Yeah, I, I think when you just ask that, ask that question, who is Terry Taylor, and you put him on a national stage, when you're on the national stage, you need to bring that in. I mean, I can, I'll compare him to something, not, not 100%, but hear me out on this one. Compare him to Brian Danielson in the early days of WWF. Very vanilla, great in the ring, very vanilla, no personality, no nothing. When he starts this yes movement and does all this other crap, everybody loses their mind. And it's like, Oh, he got away from the vanilla. He shows some personality. He got something else going here. And I think that's kind of where Terry Taylor was. He just kind of throwing that vanilla. Eh, yeah, he's good in the ring. He's fun to watch. But when he gets on a bigger, bigger stage, he just doesn't appeal to the masses. Because he's not given stuff to work with that actually fits his chops. I'll go one better. I'm, okay, not one better, but I'll go, I'll go parallel. Kurt Hennig. Terry Taylor versus Kurt Hennig. They were equal in a lot of ways in in-ring ability, but Hennig had more presence than Terry Taylor. Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. for, okay, pop quiz, first one in wins. Terry Taylor's favorite finishing move. Sleeper hold? Nope. Five arm. Mm. He called he called his um either jumping, running, or flying forearm shot the five arm, i.e. five iron. So lo and behold, he had the flying jalapeno before or about the same time that Tito Santana did. And I say that because that's I believe what either Jesse Ventura or Bobby Heenan called Tito Santana's flying forearm the flying uh, jalapeno. Yeah. So it's not flying burrito. Okay, that too. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Address all complaint letters to KIV Montgomery, Alabama, because she gives as much of a damn as I do. 
and she's a lot more. By the way, kudos to Tito Santana. You get a chance, order his autobiography at Amazon. It's a good read, but I couldn't help but smirk when I saw the title. Don't call me Chico by Tito Santana. Yeah. Oh, I worked a show with Tito years ago, and Tito had not brought anything or given me any ideas for entrance music. So lo and behold, the powers that be, so to speak, told me to go ahead and play a uh, low rider or I got the biggest eat death, uh, eat crap look that you can ever receive from anybody. Oh, so because George Lopez uses it for his show, I can use it on this entrance. Yeah, no, I, I said I, he came to me, at, not anybody else. He came to me after the match and said, what was that? I said, I did what they told me to do. I did what the boss told me to do. So I let him go talk to Robert Fuller. <laughs> and hi, Linda. <laughs> Keeble. But as far as it goes, yeah, the overall scenario with factions, there have been so many. We could actually do, God, a probably four or five hour broadcast on some of the more notable factions that have had such a positive impact on this industry. Um, I have too much fun with some of them. I agree. Dangerous Alliance is going to be in that top 10 of all time because of the variety of talent they had involved. Not to mention the fact of once again, Arn Anderson, Bobby Eaton, um, Arn Anderson and Larry Zabisco tag team champions. Arn and Bobby won tag team titles too, but I don't remember if it was Dangerous Alliance. Greg, you may have those notes in front of you. Do you? I, I do not. Okay. Um, never mind. They did. Yeah, they did win them, but I don't remember if they were with the Danish designs or not. Right. Um, from there, oh, Lord. Like I said, Dangerous Alliance, uh, da, 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 Devastation Incorporated, and Greg brought up, uh, I believe it was Greg who brought up the factor that they were a part of world class just as much as they were before the um, going into the UWF. Um, I, For me, the original Midnight Express, Dennis Condry, Randy Rose, Norvell, Austin. Um, before factions were factions or recognized as factions, uh, three-man teams, yeah, I'll go with that one especially because I believe all three of those brought something unique to the table. And the one thing that I always appreciate is when a team can get flashy but at the same time be good old-fashioned smash-mouth wrestlers. Um, Shane, were there any other factions you wanted to pop out on this one or that came to your mind? Boy, you shouldn't have thrown this out here because I'll say we are very much underselling this faction for without Eligante, Junkyard Dog, Paul Longdorf, and Steiner Brothers, the dudes with attitudes, thing does not capture the title from Rick Blair at the 1990 Great American Bash. Bartender, make it a double. <laughs> I could have gone all decade. <laughs> you said El Gigante. <laughs> Also, the monster in the slim good bodysuit, which everybody had fun with. Greg, any others? What else? Which other ones do you have on your list? So, uh, so one that you guys may not. This, and I'm just going old school, old school. The Legion of Doom. When it was the Road, the Road Warriors, Warriors and Jake the Snake Roberts, yeah, and King Kong Bundy. Bundy. And I was like, so you think about that. That's if they had stayed together, holy crap. That's that was pretty serious as well, if you think about it. See, um, I forgot about that, even though I, I remembered that I forgot it. 
And then other ones I think that don't get the the notoriety that they should. And I'm going to go with TNA. Um, not not obviously I don't want to go deep on it, but Aces and Eights I thought was a good faction. Yep. Um, and I thought made it my my feel was very entertaining. Eh. I thought it was it was different. It was, yeah. I think it was from entertaining from a standpoint of seeing those stars together in a different light, especially Steam. And I thought it just it was a fun faction for me because it was none of them needed each other. And I think that's what what was nice about it because a lot of these factions, the faction enhanced each other, right? I mean, Arn Anderson is great by himself, but in a faction, he's like awesome um same thing with bobby eaton and, and these others but none of that man that mafia needed each other which i think just made it even that much better whereas i'm just as quick to throw out the lwo because i mm-hmm. thought there was some major talent in that faction mm-hmm. very underrated But tell you what, we are going to slide to another topic. And Mr. Knowles, I do believe you have one of our favorite questions, which of course has been absconded with by the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Of course, they did it first. I'm just having fun with it. It's called What If? Yeah, I like looking at these what ifs. Ones we've done over the years is what if Bret Hart doesn't leave the WWF in November of 1997? What if Jesse Ventura does not have the blood clot? that takes him out of in-ring action, and the WrestleMania 1 main event is Jesse versus Hulk Hogan for the title. There's others we've done, but today, uh, this one came through on my mind, um, and since Eddie already knows, I'll go to Greg with it right off the spot. If you're looking at Hulk Hogan in the main event of the first eight WrestleManias, yeah. if you have to change the finish of one of those, and I'll exclude WrestleMania 1 with the tag team, but WrestleMania is 2 through 8, um, what match would you have changed differently and put Hulk Hogan's opponent over at said WrestleMania? I mean, we know Warrior defeated Hogan at six. So I guess I'm dwindling a few more down here. Mm-hmm. Wow. Um, I'll tell you mine. I made the case for WrestleMania two with mm-hmm. Bundy. Um, because with Bobby Heenan, I thought that vicious attack at Saturday night's main event where they attacked the ribs, if he'd went over, because Heenan was so good right there as a manager. But I think, in my opinion, the reason why is if Hogan drops the title at WrestleMania 2, the first mania he's defended it in a, in a singles match, I mean, then you've got a, whoa, you know, I don't want to say, whoa, Bundy from the <laughs> children, but, um, you know, a, a, a whoa moment here of, because then, you know, at that point, the pattern of Hogan must pose Hogan always defeats the heel had not been established yet. That was the first one that popped in my head was Bundy. Um, of course, most people probably would go Andre. I don't think that at all. Um, when I asked this question to people I work with, they all went with Savage at WrestleMania Five. That was gonna be my next one. Is possibly Savage because of the long term story planning and he could have just he could have won it and then came back and got it back at the I don't know if we had King of the Ring yet or SummerSlam. But honestly, mm-hmm. even looking back, you know, you look back at a lot of a lot of like, you know, big cards, Starcades and Manias and and think 
man, this could have been or something. It's hard to make an argument that he should have lost any of them. Because even in hindsight, because of the stories that were going in and and how you know in the times and all of that, outside of Bundy, which might be the best one because of the feud with Heenan, not so much Bundy, but the the Heenan feud. I mean, even with the Savage one, it's still hard to make that argument because of that how long that that whole program was had gone. Um, well, then I have I have a part two. Okay. Question. Um, it, it, you know, I agree with that aspect that they all made sense for Hogan to win. Something that didn't make sense, I think, in most people's minds is 1998 Starcade with Kevin Nash defeating Goldberg. So here's our what if, Eddie. I didn't tell you about this one, so you wouldn't have something prepared. Woo-hoo! If it's not Kevin Nash defeating Goldberg via assistance from Scott Hall with a cattle prod, who and when should have been the first person to score a W? Over Bill Goldberg. Oh boy. Hmm. I would have not made it one of the usual suspects. I would not have given favored nation status or creative control over this one to anybody. A lot is going to depend on exactly where we are in the streak. Let's say he continues at 98 against Nash and he goes into 1999 unblemished. I'd have given it to Sting. Because Goldberg at that point was, even though he was over with the crowd, you still had so many people who were in Sting's corner. And if Sting would have been the one to end the streak, to push Sting to an even higher level in the stratosphere, I don't see a downside. It also depends on exactly how it was done. Um. Because remember when, what was it, the U.S. title match? When Hugh Morris went over? And Mm -hmm. lo and behold, it was a case of they threw everything, including the stop sign. I just, it's a really tricky bird because if you give it to somebody who is not in a position to genuinely capitalize on it. You're wasting it. You have to be able to make sure that you have a tomorrow strategy. And you don't want someone who is, it's like for years, somebody, so many people and myself included where Brock Lesnar should have never been the one to end the streak. Okay, fine. Who should have? Nobody. I'm referring to the Undertaker streak. Nobody. Taker should have carried that to the sunset for everything he's done for the company. Now, if Taker was cool with Roman Reigns, fine. If he was cool with Brock, fine. It's not my streak. I'm not the talent in this match. Um, <clears throat> but I think the problem is it comes down to one of the things that is everybody has heard so often over the last few years 
it has to mean something. So for as much as Goldberg was an antihero type at some points in time, but a pure babyface, not really, but true in other points, I would have gone ahead and give it to Sting to build momentum into another situation without compromising any of Goldberg's momentum. And yes, I am running for Supreme Court justice. Well, I, t- I tell you who my answer would be because I was going to kind of steal the he should have never lost as over as he was. But you talked about somebody who could have made it. The guy who won the WCW championship on the final broadcast ever at Nitro. That would have further cemented Booker T. But can you make it mean something? With Booker T at that point in time. Oh, yeah. I'm just talking about Booker T's career arc coming out of tag teams into singles. I mean, man, he was over uh, towards the end of the closure of WCW. And, you know, that was uh, two and a half years prior. True. Who knows? Agree. Greg? So, I think at that time, kind of thinking about Booker T, I don't think that timing-wise that would have been necessarily the right choice just based on where they had Booker T lined up in 98. I would have gone DDP. And in hindsight, if you go back and look at that Halloween Havoc that they wrestled, that crowd was Mm -hmm. behind DDP more so than Goldberg. And DDP was over, like, organically just over and and it would have made sense because that diamond cutter had was so over nobody was kicking out of it and it would have made sense because he could have just caught him like on that just on that one off and boom you hit it and be done and then scoot right out of that ring and that place would have lost their minds and and then they could have timed it where he sidestepped a spear into a diamond cutter with that finish you're talking about with DDP takes off into the crowd. My God. And, and, he, and at that point, while DDP was huge, he wasn't, you know, he had not been world champion yet. He had not done any of that kind of thing. Um, Sting was kind of a made man at that point. So I, I like the Booker T idea because he, he was, he's the future. But at that moment, it's kind of like that, man, DDP was, I think as over, if not more over than Goldberg at times. I can see that. Okay. Cool play on that one. Um, Shane, was there another what if? Because I thought there was. I may be wrong. Well, I can throw one more that's been banding about in my brain here. Bring it Um, on. Let's just bring out the time period near that time. Let's go with mm, late 96 because Sting never jumped over to the WWF and this gentleman never went to the WCW, but he got close. If Shawn Michaels goes to WCW, who would you put his first program with? And let's say that would have been fall of 96 because he saw what Hall, Nash, and Waltman were doing, his click buddies. Do you put him in the NWO? Do you have a feud with the NWO? Someone else different? Baby? Heel? How's it go? Hmm. I say you bring him in a WCW and call him Terrorizing mm-hmm. 2.0. <laughs> Greg, go ahead and take point on this one. <laughs> I think 
I think he he would have to come in as NWO. Um, but thinking about his first program to really get him going, Flair. When did Brett come over? That, Brett came over later. So Brett came over, what, 98, 97? Fall of 98. Fall of 97, yeah. Yeah, screw so, Montreal Screwdriver was when? 97. Fall of 97, November okay. 6th. So, yeah, him coming in, I think it's that type of thing that him and Flair could just have such over-the-top type matches. At that time in their careers, I mean, Sean was Sean. But Flair at that time, because they had nice matches later on. Flair was, what, 50s? Yep. <laughs> and so, could you imagine him being, you know, 10 years earlier with Sean? Oh, I think mm-hmm. that would have been phenomenal. I don't know and about it. And, and, and I'll say real quick, that would have distanced Flair from Hogan. And that would have been a, a good change of pace. See, I don't know if I'd have brought HBK directly into the um, into the NWO. I would have probably built him as the challenger to. You're going exactly where I was thinking, Eddie. You have the NWO in the ring. You bring out Shawn Michaels, even if they can't use that name, Michael Higginbottom, whatever. Scott Hall with the, well, you know, you know our history, and it's all led up that he's going to join until Sean super kicks Nash or somebody else and leads the charge against him. And then pulls the Hogan-esque turn. I could see, like I said, I could see that done later, but in the early going, no, I have him going, it's like, yeah, this is not what, what we were originally talking about doing, so guess what? You're on your own. I'm doing my thing. You do yours. And then little by little have them jump him and continue to build him as a pro WCW babyface, which from there you can continue to run that entire story. You can run that for a year and slow well, rewrite the story. Instead of Kurt Henning, you have Arn Anderson give the my spot promo to Shawn Michaels. And you don't do the turn at Fall Brawl like you did with Henning. Right. You have Shawn as a horse. Under Flair's tutelage. And then instead of having Hennig turn on Anderson, you could actually have Michaels turn on Flair. Sure. I'm sorry. I love you. Super kick. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, there are so many different ways they could play that to where it would actually make sense, and so many people would be invested in that. You would have probably about 70% of the populace buying in you'd have about 30 percent going oh no come on did y'all not remember what we talked about on the curtain call you really think he's really going to go go ahead and to greg's point we got good matches with flair and sean in 2004 and seven and then of course the one in 2008 could you imagine in 1996 he wrestled some of these guys later sean michaels 1996 versus the 1996 versions of rick flair chris benoit Eddie Guerrero, Chris Jericho, Ray Mysterio. Throwing Macho Man, too. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and then lo and behold, there were some people coming up the food chain in WCW at that point. If they had not been overlooked to a huge degree and had actually been incorporated into 
primary storylines in WCW. I think the Monday Night War would have had a definitely different flair, so to speak. And I'm not referring to, to prick flair on that one. Um, pause for effect. Okay, no effect. Never mind. We move on. Um, <laughs> every once in a while, I set myself up for something I'm thinking is going to pop everybody, and it just doesn't happen. <sighs> kind of like the Hindenburg having an OnlyFans page. So what? Um, you know, it's funny because text messaging is a beautiful thing. And this one's kind of easy. And before we move out of that last what if, which I really dig the Shawn Michaels version of that, that that gives me a lot to think about off air after everything's, and we can, we can revisit that later. Oh yeah. I was going to say, we could revisit that as more stuff comes to mind. Cause you know, HBK 96, arguably the best worker in, in the United States Yeah, at that point in time. Yeah. Agreed. Um, final comments before we move out. Greg? No, I just, I, I love this, that what ifs are, those are fun to think about. Oh, hell yeah. Shane, final comments? Uh, well, there was one more I was thinking when we talked about the ones we had done, and I want to ask Greg this one. Um, just make it real quick, revisit, I think it was you and I and Sam Grubb when I pitched this before, but 1988, the WWF is going to a new pay-per-view called SummerSlam. They had the Brother Love segment ready. It's supposed to be Flair. If Flair comes in and faces Macho Man for the Intercontinental title, as was the plan, it's a two-part question. One, does Flair go over on Macho for the Intercontinental title? Meaning that we may not get the Mega Powers in their split. And do you do Hogan and Flair at WrestleMania 5 and Trump Plaza Intercontinental Champion versus World Champion? <laughs> I heard that. <laughs> um, so I Two, two, two thoughts came into my head of what I would do compared to what I think they would do. Okay. <laughs> so, yes, I like that. I like the fact that, you know, yes, he, he wins Intercontinental Belt, goes on to face Hogan. I think that in, in 88, that should be huge. Um, but we did kind of see in WWE that there are different fans, and they, they didn't embrace Flair as much as WCW fans embraced Hogan. Um we saw that later, of course. But I don't see Vince putting him over Macho Man at that point. That's the issue. Is I just can't picture that. I just don't see Vince's ego, especially at that point, him him doing that. But oh my goodness, how huge could that have been? Um, wow, that could, that could have been so huge. But they could have they could have built that for so long too, and he could have been a distraction during that mega powers. I mean, there's so many things you could have done with Flair at that point. Because um, not that long after that, you think about the the brainbusters came in. We could have we could have had the Horsemen uh, sitting in WWF. Yeah, you could have had them all: Barry Windham, Arn Tully, Flair, with Heenan replacing JJ. Yep. How much of that dynamic would have changed if Heenan would have been the one leading the horseman instead of J.J. Dillon? That will be one we tackle next week. Save it. Put a pin in that one. <laughs> you know, because the differencing between J.J. Dillon and Bobby Heenan, we can talk about value. Now, 
a lot of people refer to rated, overrated, underrated, properly rated, spot on, spot off. I get tired of the overrated comments. And I'm notorious for them too, so I get mad at myself for saying it. But everybody in this industry brings a certain value. The question is, in the eyes of everybody watching, as well as the peers, as well as the booking committee, committee, not enough caffeine. I'm going back and I'm drinking coffee this time. Leave me alone. Uh, From that point, are they undervalued or overvalued? And my question to my colleagues is, who do you have as the most undervalued performers currently? And if you want to pop an all-time, that's cool, too. Shane, I'll go to you first. Uh, On the WWE current roster, I think the most undervalued is Chad Gable. I think Chad Cable for wrestling acumen could be the newer generation. And I'm not going to, I hate to say newer generation because that's events 93 thing, <laughs> but I'm not saying that he is Kurt Angle, but if built properly with his wrestling acumen and skills, Chad Gable, instead of being a clown with Otis could be a wrestling cyborg that could catch anybody at any time. And you're going to be in quite the struggle when you work with him Two. Overvalued, I think his time has passed. And I'm talking about The Miz. I feel like it's been two decades since I was told that he was on MTV's Real World. Cool. He had his title run. I was at that WrestleMania in Atlanta. That's now been 13 years ago. It was one of the worst main events ever that ended in the DQ against John <laughs> Cena. They treat him like a joke with Seth Rollins constantly curb stomping him, stripping him of his clothes. When's the last time the Miz did something truly honest to God meaningful? I think it was the thing with Damian Sandow. That's the last time I enjoyed Miz, and we're talking six, seven years ago. I just don't know. Like, if Miz were off the WWE roster, does it hurt their value one bit? You could say that about a lot of guys. But I'm talking about a guy that's been there a long time who just seems like filler. Greg? You're up. Um, thinking about under underrated or undervalued in WWE, I, I sit back and I, I, I can, I'm confused on how Robert Roode is not at a different level. The guy can, he, he just, he's always been solid. He, he showed it in NXT. I mean, he showed it prior to that, of course, with, you know, impact and everything, but, he showed it in NXT. He had crowd reactions. He had crowd reactions when he first came to the main roster. And I just don't get it. I don't get how they just haven't done more with him. I think another one that's undervalued is uh, Dolph Ziggler. I think his time has passed at this point. But I think they've ruined him. Or whether they've ruined him or he's ruined himself, whatever. the crowd will never take him as serious as they, they could have. But I think over the past 10 years, he's, he's been hugely undervalued. Um, as far as overvalued, I'm sorry, what do you, what do you guys think about those two, Rude and, and Ziggler? Shane? 
Oh, I like Bobby Roode. I think his age is kind of surprises me that he's already in his early mid forties, around like forty three, forty four. They should have done more with Glorious at the beginning. I think Ziggler. I feel like it's been a decade now, but especially the last three or four years. Like, what are you doing with this guy? There's plenty of people you could job out that couldn't go out there and have a five star match like Dolph Ziggler. I don't know why he's playing that role uh, within the company. He got pinned with that immortally bad phrase, a good hand. Ooh, that's an insult. <laughs> well, and I'm going to go one more undervalued. Sheldon Benjamin. Get out of my playlist. <laughs> got the look, got the work, and Brock Lesnar himself will tell you no one trains harder and can make it look better than Sheldon Benjamin. And this all ties back into the narrative for the show. We had a faction known as the Hurt Business, yep. which was tremendously way too short-lived and had the legs cut out from under them. And it had me so excited that Sheldon Benjamin was going to do something meaningful. Yeah, same here. And I would th- that's one of my names on my list. Because as far as undervalued performers in this industry, still, even though it's starting to change a little bit, Josh Alexander, the walking weapon, still very much overlooked and very much underrated and undervalued especially because so many people don't see impact wrestling and don't see the type of performer that he is in the ring. So I'll use all three of those unders on that, but in my book, very much underrated, um, undervalued. Okay. Um, from there, before the bloodline, yeah, I'd have said Sammy's, uh, Sammy Zane in a heartbeat. Currently, tag team, Viking Raiders. I believe that yes. they still have not figured out exactly what to do with them. Uh, before he left WWE, undervalued Cesaro. In AEW, Claudio, Claudio Castagnoli. It's a hit or miss depending on what exactly Tony, oh, excuse me, Tony Khan has for breakfast. Um, of all time, one of the most undervalued performers, Rick Martel, plain and simple. Hey, hey. yeah, they could have done so much more with him in the Fed and any other company. Um, tag teams and individuals, you stole it out from under me. Shelton Benjamin and Cedric Alexander, both of them have been tremendously undervalued and underused. I hate to do this, overvalued the two most glaring cases. Bronson Reed in WWE and Tony Storm in AEW. I'm sorry. I don't see it. I really don't. Um, hey, I know I kind of went hard in the paint here on him, but I'll get you guys thoughts on Mike the Miz as far as overvalued. Um, I've got him on the money, personally. And you brought up who has he done something substantial with? Two words, Dexter Loomis. Um, the other one I've got on the money, Chris Jericho working to help build and continue to cultivate newer talent. I think both of them are great caretakers of the gateway because if you have a bad match with either of them, (laughs) get the hell out this business. But if you can captivate the crowd with those two and get them on your side, doesn't matter what style you're working, heel face and a hero doesn't matter. Lo and behold, you got a future in front of you. And I think Miz in WWE and Jericho in AEW 
are the gatekeepers on who can have the best future. Shane, you were about to say? Oh, no, I wasn't about to say anything. Uh, Greg? Uh, yeah. Coming to I'll you about the uh, Jericho comment. I mean, the Miz comment. Yeah, yeah I'll jump in on Miz. I actually I understand exactly where Shane's coming from. However, the one thing about the Miz, and I, I don't understand why WWE does some of the things they do, he's very reliable. Yep. He can he can get heat, and I can easily see him transitioning into a managerial type of a role in the oh, next yeah. few years. But the other thing about him is he is very reliable. There's no reason you put a Logan Paul in, in, in the ring with anybody else except Miz. You put Bad Bunny in there with Miz. You put you trust people with him because he knows what he's doing. You gotta give him credit for that. I don't I don't understand why they keep going back to the end of the real world crap and all that. That's been so long ago. But I think Miz in a talking role um, is good. And the other thing about him that I like is he's not afraid to make fun of himself. True. He doesn't care to get heat. He doesn't care if he's got to be the chicken shit or the badass. <laughs> or, or get beat up by anybody. He doesn't care. Right. He he gets this business unlike so many others, and that's the one thing I give him so much credit for. Um, I would like to see him change up his character a little bit, but um, overall, I think he's entertaining. But I also don't think he needs to be overexposed in there all the time. Folks, tell you what, and I think that may be the uh, I think that may be the thing for me on this. I agree with both of the attributes positive that you said about him, but the old expression, how can I miss you if you won't go away? He's never off TV. Actually, a lot of the times he's off TV and you don't notice until he comes back. It's like, would you go away? Yeah, he just did for three months. <laughs> but the one thing about him, and I have to say this, and this is, when you, when he does go away, those few times he comes back and cuts a promo, you're like, damn, he's, he, you realize nobody else can cut promos. Because <laughs> this dude comes in and he can cut a promo. And when he's fired up and motivated, oh my gosh, he he gets it. I mean, that's the one thing about him is he truly does get this business. He gets the entertainment aspect. Is he the greatest in-ring talent? Is he Brian Danielson or or anything? No. But he is so reliable and, and you can trust him with, with talent. And I think that's huge. I like the gatekeeper comment. You can put anybody with him. Yeah. I mean, that's the way I genuinely believe it. I believe that the, both of those two are genuine gatekeepers in this business because if you have a bad match with them, get out. <laughs> Just go back to training. I don't care. If you suck against those two, leave for a little while, learn more lessons, then come back. Um, I realize the time, and I apologize. We've just absolutely gone crazy with the numbers tonight. So I'm going to go ahead and sit back and say it is time to head for the Radio Ranch. Shane Knowles, last call, shameless plug, sir. Uh, well, Shane Knowles, N-O-L-E-S, on uh, Facebook, Snapchat, Twitter, Instagram, if you like. Um, uh, Shane Knowles, useless trivia takes place in Gadsden, Alabama, at Back 40 Brewing Company. It's coming up Thursday. We will be in week two of our spring league. Had 11 teams come out um, for week one. So I certainly, certainly hope they stay throughout the duration of all that. But for my last call, uh, I want to say this, not as a detriment to the current player, but as more props to the elder player who is no longer with us. In college basketball, Antoine Davis of Detroit Mercer came up just shy earlier this week in his conference tournament of passing the legendary Pistol, Pistol Pete Maravich for the most points ever scored 
in college basketball. Antoine Davis is the son of Mike Davis, the coach who took Indiana to the national championship game in 2001 against yeah. Maryland. Also, Eddie coached your UAB Blazers yep. for a good minute. Good coach. And I liked Antoine Davis saying, I went for it, but I'm just glad to be mentioned even in the same breath as Pete Maravich. Kudos to Antoine Davis. And there's a catch to this off the last call. But I want to say, Antoine Davis is the career leader in NCAA history with 588 three-pointers. That is amazing. Pete Maravich never took a three-point shot. Right. But he shot routinely from outside 30 feet just because he could. Pete Maravich also had no shot clock during the time he played. Um, <laughs> my goodness, the thing about Pete Maravich, they didn't even have a three-pointer in the NBA till his final year in the NBA with the Boston Celtics, and he shot 10 of 15 from three-point range, 66% from three-point range that season. Pete Maravich, uh, Antoine Davis got his uh, the, the points in 144 games, averaging 25.4 points per game. Pete Maravich did it in 83 games, averaging an astounding 44.2 points per game. The catch, that was in three seasons. Because in 1967, he had to play on the freshman team thanks to NCAA rules that forbid him from playing on the varsity team. If Pete Maravich played his freshman season, Antoine Davis ain't sniffing this record. We're not talking about him today. So no disrespect to Antoine Davis, but the things Pete Maravich did without a shot clock, without a three-point line, and with one season taken from him – unbelievable talent. And I encourage uh, people that love basketball that are coming up and watching basketball, go to YouTube, find clips of Pete Maravich in college and in the pros, watch a movie made about him called the pistol that came out in 1988, because I feel like the NBA doesn't do a good job of promoting Pete Maravich. When they released the uh, top 50 players in NBA history in 1998, Pete Maravich was on that list. Pete Maravich was also the only person on that list that was deceased at the time. But I just don't feel like the league has done enough to really uh, hype up just how good this player was. And what I'm saying about Antoine Davis, all that stuff's amazing. But when you put it in perspective of how Pete Maravich did it, what he accomplished it under those certain rules and conditions, unbelievable. Agreed, 100%. Greg Troxel, shameless plugs, last call. Shameless plugs, just um, on Twitter and Instagram at the Greg Troxel, and hopefully next week I should have some announcements of some uh, wrestling dates coming up. I have a few right now, but I'll I'll wait till next week to announce those and locations. And just looking forward to that. That's uh, real that's quick. As for, um, and social media, sir. Uh, at the Greg Troxel on Instagram and Twitter. Uh, for me personally, I want to say a very heartfelt thank you to Zachary and Julia. Uh, they allowed me the honor and the privilege of being the MC and DJ for their big day last weekend. Humbly appreciate it. Thank you for all the great moments and thank you for the opportunity. Yes, I do weddings as a DJ. Um, you can find me through facebook.com slash fast study lane, fast study lane.com, all of the above. Um, 
I do take bookings through Full Range Entertainment and through Elvis Rob Productions, and I appreciate every opportunity that I'm given. Um, upcoming events for me this coming Saturday, I'll be up in Northeast Alabama. Then on the 25th, I have a wedding that is going to be in Clanton, Alabama, and I'm looking forward to both events and so much more. Um, from there, I'm really not going to concentrate on the last call because we've done so many different topics. I have had so much fun with this. Um, on the karaoke side of life, don't forget – Monday night, March 6th, Beer Hog, Pelham, Alabama, 6 p.m. start time. March 7th, Tuesday night, Steel Gaster Pub, 7.30 p.m. start time. Thursday, March 9th, Mad Pies Pizzeria, Fultondale, Alabama. It's going to be a 7 p.m. start time. Warm up your vocal cords. Let's have a little fun. Uh, once again, you heard me mention it. It's FastStudyLane.com is home, and I do actually update once every two to three whenever the hell I feel like it's. For the show itself, at Beyond Ringside on Twitter, Facebook.com slash Beyond Ringside, Facebook.com slash Beyond Ringside Live, BeyondRingside.com is home, as well as ProWrestlingRadio.net. Thank you to everybody catching us all the way across the board, whether it be live on TuneIn and, of course, the various websites through there, because there are 13 actual websites that carry us live and replayed. And, of course, on the podcast or Beyondcast, however you want to call it, um, everything from Pandora, Spotify, Spreaker, Podomatic, iHeartRadio, you name it, we're there. Going to call it a day and head for the Radio Ranch. Thank you for hanging with us. We hope you enjoy the ride. For Shane Knowles. What if you had heard Jesse Ventura in 1986 utter this phrase? What an unbelievable upset by Bundy, the new World Wrestling Federation champion, Monsoon. <laughs> for the hardcore heartbreaker, Greg Troxel. You guys start coming to me first, man. I can't follow shit. I know. I regretted it a second. <laughs> I was so close. I almost did. I promise I'll do it next week. And for the record, Andre should have gone over at Mania 3. That's all I'm going to say until next week. Until next time, I am the Magic City Motormouth Fast Study Lane saying adios. Das Vidanya. Hasta luego. Auf Wiedersehen. Ciao. Sayonara. Adieu. Adivaderci. Farewell. Abasinha. Audubon. Until we meet again, I know there's 83 more ways to say goodbye, but I'm trying to keep it time specific, and that's the way I've done it for 20 plus years. And aloha means bye-bye. Join us right here next time as we all go beyond ringside. Bye for now.